Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. And this is Mick Mulcahy sitting in for Neil Prendeville until his return on Monday week. Now let's look at the morning papers. Wages at 76% of hospitality firms helped by the state. Wages in more than three quarters of hospitality businesses were propped up by the government during the pandemic. New figures are showing 76% of employers in the accommodation and food services industries were supported by the Employment Wage Subsidy Scheme, the EWSS, between April and June this year. A rate of support just under 46% was seen in the arts, entertainment and recreation sector, according to research published yesterday by the CSO. The lowest rate of support was in public administration and defence at 0.3%. And a total of 17% of employers across all sectors, excluding agriculture, were supported by the scheme. Uh, the Daily Mail today has a story about electric picnic and uh, it's all over the place. Of course, it's officially cancelled. It cannot go ahead now, say the organisers uh, the organizers of electric picnic in Stradbally, uh, County Meath, isn't it, have confirmed the festival will uh, not go ahead uh, this year despite the planned easing of COVID-19 restrictions announced on Thursday. Uh, County Leash, isn't it? Yes, sorry. Uh, in a statement posted on Twitter, festival organisers said we had a Leash County Council. Uh, we'd asked them to reverse the decision on Electric Picnic being cancelled this year. Unfortunately, they have not yet done so, and we've now run out of time. Regrettably, we have no other choice but to cancel this year's edition. There had been some hope the uh, popular festival could still go ahead in some form, with the government engaging with the festival's organisers in recent weeks. But Leash County Council said it could not revisit or reconsider its decision to refuse a licence for the festival to be held this year. I believe full refunds are the order of the day if you want them, uh, but those tickets are so hard to get. I imagine a lot of people will hold on to them for whatever comes their way next year. I wonder, will it go ahead in County Leash or have they shot themselves in the foot? It's a proud day, say the Indo for the Naval Service, uh, who was showing off the fleet yesterday to, uh, to mark their 75th birthday. The Irish Naval Service began its 75th birthday celebrations yesterday with an impressive artillery gun salute in Dunleary for the L.E. Samuel Beckett vessel before it lined up alongside three uh, of its sister ships in Dublin's Docklands. The salute sounded as the ship left Dunleary's uh, Carlisle Pier and steered its course across Dublin Bay. Minister for uh, Foreign Affairs and Defence Simon Coveney received military honours from a sub-lieutenant's Guard of Honour of 55 personnel of all ranks and inspected the Guard before boarding the L.E. Samuel Beckett. Uh, and of course, not, not making much of the papers, but there is... Uh, an increasing intensity uh, on government circles and in government circles for clarification on the Catherine Zappone issue. But back to housing and in the Indo, the government's housing plan pledges to deliver 300,000 homes in the next 10 years. I think they'll achieve about 22,000 this year, 26,000 next year. So uh, they'd want to be ramping it up, wouldn't they? The government's landmark housing for all strategy will uh, pledge to deliver 300,000 new homes within the next 10 years. The plan is being launched today. It's going to promise 90,000 social houses, 36,000 affordable homes and 18,000 cost rental properties before the end of 2030. The remaining 156,000 homes will be delivered through the private rental and purchase housing market. And Housing Minister Dara O'Brien will outline a series of measures aimed at uh, reducing the cost of housing and encouraging the building of new homes uh, over the coming decade. He's going to commit to spending $4 billion a year on state interventions and capital investments to kickstart the housing market and develop more homes for people struggling to get on the property ladder. Also in the endo. 
the Tonishta, the ex-minister, and the texts from the Piglet. Uh, the Piglet, I think, is a resident, restaurant. Fresh Merrion Gate fallout uh, piles pressure on Varadkar and Coveney. Uh, and now this morning, we have Barry Cowan uh, chipping in from the Fianna Fáil side to say, hang on, uh, when I and one other were accused of uh, interfering with government business, uh, swift action was taken, we were removed from government. But of course, how can Micheál Martin? Uh, remove anybody from the uh, Fine Gael side where they're crashing his own government. So it's uh, becoming a bit of farce, but there are fresh Merrion Gate fallout. Uh, it's making the papers, it's making radio stations, and the government has been plunged into a fresh crisis over the botched appointment of Catherine Zappone as a special envoy and tarnished to Leo Varadkar's attendance at the former minister's party at the Merrion Hotel. Texts were not meant to have existed. Official communications uh, were made to say these texts don't exist and now they do exist. Is this a makey-uppy job uh, with a pension? Uh, is this cosy politics? Um, well, in an extraordinary move, Mr Varadkar was forced to release text messages he sent to Ms Zappone and Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney relating to the controversy which has dragged on now for five weeks. The decision to release the text came after Mr Coveney revealed he texted the Tornister about the appointment more than a week before he brought a memo to Cabinet, which blindsided Taoiseach Micheál Martin. However, Mr Coveney told a Foreign Affairs Committee hearing that he deleted the text exchange, which sparked a warning to ministers from the Taoiseach to keep their messages. Mr Coveney is now facing being recalled to face the committee. And meanwhile, the Taunishta's messages revealed Ms Sapone first told him about her appointment on July 16th while texting him from the Piglet Wine Bar in Temple Bar. Uh, I was expecting to hear from Simon C about my appointment a special envoy for human rights and LGBTQ plus issues. Have you heard anything, she asked. She also inquired if he'd be attending her party. Mr. Varadkar said he didn't know about the appointment and he said he'd attend her party, but asked if it was definitely legal. Ms. Sapone said the hotel assured her it was. And cabinet ministers are now concerned the latest twist in the long-running saga will overshadow the launch of their Housing for All plan, which I just mentioned uh, will be happening later today. Uh, in the sun, dogs can read our minds, it's claimed. Dogs can read human minds. Researchers claim they're able to tell the difference between deliberate actions and mistakes. It's claimed they found the animals behave differently depending on whether a morsel of food was withheld intentionally or by accident. They were separated from the human tester by a transparent barrier and fed pieces of dog food through a gap. If in the unwilling condition, the tester withdrew the reward. In the unable, clumsy condition, she tried to pass the reward through but then dropped it. Uh, and in this condition, the tester again tried to give the dog a reward but was unable to as the gap was blocked. Fascinating uh, dog study. Uh, if dogs are your thing, you can check it out in the sun today. Also in the sun, uh, all sept for affairs. September is the top month for affairs and cheating. Uh, Surges traditionally 24% in September. And the annual autumn affairs surge could uh, be even more pronounced this year as bored spouses use the easing of restrictions to start afresh. A survey of 2,000 people by illicitencounters.com found 78% of cheaters say the return to the office will make it easier to have an affair by providing cover for their secret liaisons. Wow, it's almost uh, James Bondish, isn't it? Uh, also in the star, the nation is in bed with syphilis. That'll put a stop to your affair. A syphilis outbreak has gripped Ireland and there's been a massive 43% jump in cases this year. Nearly 80% of infections reported in 2021 have been in Dublin, Kildare and Wicklow. And Dr. Derek Friedman, a specialist in STIs, has recommended keeping track of sex partners using an Excel spreadsheet. 
you'd want to have a lot of them, wouldn't you? Uh, what really we should be looking at today is the concept of quality sex. Know the person you're with and at least have their name and mobile number. <clears throat> Start off with a condom unless you know them well. Uh, and if you have a lot of partners, put them in an Excel document. So at least if there's a problem, you can get back and tell them there's been a problem. It's like contact tracing, I suppose, isn't it? He told News Talk radio station, the best way to protect yourself from an infection is to practice safe sex. And the outbreak is now so dire that James uh, St. James Hospital in Dublin opened a walk-in STI testing clinic a couple of months ago. And a public uh, health medicine specialist there said cases were rising before the pandemic. There was a dip in early lockdown, but numbers started rising again. There's been nearly 500 cases reported this year. Uh, we'll get to more of the papers as we go through the morning, uh, but uh, we'll have one quick look at the Daily Star here. 50 days till freedom. Uh, the Taoiseach Michal Martin said yesterday he would not rule out placing restrictions on counties that can't get COVID-19 cases under control. This comes as an optimistic scenario given uh, to the government by Neffet. said Ireland could see up to 3,000 COVID-19 cases a day this month. And as we move towards personal responsibility, I often wonder, uh, why are we concentrating on the number of cases? Because the number of fatalities seems to be dropping exponentially uh, because of the vaccine rollout program. Shouldn't we we now be concentrating on hospital numbers and ICU numbers? Because 3,000 cases is certainly scary uh, to look at. And I know there are sections of the population that will uh, continue to remain at home and cower in fear about coming out uh, and uh, socialising if they're seeing these ever-increasing cases. And with the relaxing of uh, restrictions, we're going to get an increase in cases. But the purpose, I suppose, of the vaccine rollout uh, was that these will only... Uh, for the most part, uh, be a minor inconvenience health-wise. And that's what you'd hope anyway. Uh, the Taoiseach said, although the government's not currently considering a move to placing restrictions on certain counties, he wouldn't rule it out. He noted the incidence of the disease was high in counties Donegal and Monaghan and that the uptake of the vaccine hasn't been as strong in comparison to other counties. The Fianna Fáil leader said, we rule nothing out and it's possible to regulate for that, but in the current climate we don't anticipate doing that. And you've got to feel a little sorry for me, Hall Martin. Uh, every time there's good news on the way, it seems to be tempered uh, by actions of other people in the government uh, for which he's forced to consider action, take action, or maybe not take any action. But I can uh, kind of guarantee, looking uh, at the groundswell of opinion that's coming in by text and the uh, radio coverage and press coverage, that this Marion Gate thing and the piglet and uh, the texts and all of this cosy cartel make up a job and um, sort it out for one of the... Uh, the elite is not going to go away. And uh, I think we'll be hearing more of that as the day goes on. The Neil Prenderville Show. And to the phone lines at 20 past nine. Good morning, Caroline. Morning, Nick. How are you? I'm very good. You're my first call. Always nervous for the first one. I am. I know. I know. I'm very <laughs> nervous. So I am. Don't you be. I'll be nervous for you, okay? Now, you're probably not <laughs> the only one this has happened to. So tell us your story. Um, last year, um, my two girls started secondary school and we've got two schools close by to us, but they didn't want to go to those. They wanted to go to Bohabui. Now, they went to school in the market, so Bohabui is the catchment school for that area. Okay. So I said, look, if I can get you on a bus, you can go to Bohabui and we'll, you can go to my mother's after school and we'll collect you then in the evening. So I got on to bus Aaron and they said, because there was no bus going from Kenturk to Bohabui, um, but if I could get them on one of the pick-up points on the route from Newmarket to Bohabui, so I emailed them back and said, yeah, that's no problem and I got an email back from them saying, yeah, they're scheduled on the bus so everything was fine last year Mick. so then in, at the end of April I rang them again because registration was closing just to see 
did I need to register them again for the coming year? They said, no, they're still on the system. You don't need to do a thing. Payment is due by July. So the payment was taken out, make on the 15th of July. I heard no more. So on Thursday, just gone last week, at 28 in the evening, an email came through from them saying that um, due to the bus being at its full capacity, we can no longer offer the girls the seats on the bus. So I didn't see the email, Mick, until Friday evening and they were starting back at school on Monday. Mm-hmm. I think email covers a lot of uh, covers a lot of asses these days and it's not the primary source of contact anymore. I, I missed an email on an insurance issue by about 10 days to my own cost. It's because people don't use email that much anymore. No, no, and I was, I was in holiday so I don't I don't check my emails every every day, you know, because I wouldn't find anything important coming in because I had the money paid for the seats. I thought that once it was paid for that my seats were secured on the bus. Mm-hmm. But the, now, email, the email covers them. the other side, doesn't it? it? Yeah, yeah. Now, I've emailed them, I've tried ringing, and to no avail. They haven't rang back, they haven't replied to the emails. Um, so we are totally, like, we're both working. Now, we can get them in the morning, I can drop them, but it's just the picking up in the evening. Um, my husband is self-employed and he mainly works out of the city, so he has to finish early to collect them. So you're you're you're, in, you're really in a bind here, and that and that yeah. their their schools yeah, are now yeah. confirmed, and and their transport's been taken away. Yeah, yeah. Like, Mick, if I didn't have to apply for school transport, if I was able to take them myself and collect them, we wouldn't bother with it. You apply for school transport because you need it, and you can't give it to someone one year and take it off them again the following year when you totally rely on something. And I know I'm not the only one. It's happening up and down the country. Um, you know, people are losing seats, people haven't got tickets, they can't get onto bus airing, there's no one answering phones. Do you know, it's a total mess that needs to be highlighted and looked into by someone. And, and what's the cause of this, do you think? Is it, is it lack of resources? Um, is it reducing resources? I think it's reducing. My, like, my husband passed the bus yesterday evening. Um, well, they finished early yesterday, so he didn't, he didn't work yesterday. Um, so he, they passed the bus and they said that the bus wasn't full. Um... No, it's a private contractor. There is a bus, there is a school bus going in. There's two routes there. There's one going one direction and there's another one going in the opposite direction. So I think one is a bus airing bus and the bus my two were on, I think it's hired out to a private contractor. Okay. Now, last year, it's not it's not a full bus. You know, it's one of the big buses. It's like maybe one that maybe take 20 to 25 to 30 students. And could a bigger bus oh. not be sought, I wonder? Could a bigger nos- bus not be oh, paid for? Because they used the bigger bus on and off last year. That's where, that's where the problem is now, right? Because I, I was there yesterday. Like, yes, they used the bigger bus last year during COVID on a lot of the weeks. But I can't understand why they couldn't put on a bigger bus. Now, they said when they passed it, the bus wasn't full yesterday. Okay. Still, my two were still... Not but given seats. Yeah, but is is the bus subject to seventy five percent restriction or fifty percent restriction or whatever I, whatever's in play I at the moment? Don't know. I don't know because there was nothing said on the email about restrictions or whether the bus is not at full capacity or what. I don't know. There was nothing said. Mm-hmm. This is a huge family issue for you, but I, and I don't mean to offend you. It's probably very minuscule in the greater scheme of things uh, for those who are organising school transport. But it is a massive, massive inconvenience now that you're about to face. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. So it is, you know, and no matter what way we look at it, we can't, you know, we can't find a problem to, to the solution, you know. Um, 
like it's, as I said it's okay getting them there but it's just getting them home and are they the only kids from your area going to that school yeah yeah okay and what's the distance yeah. um, 12 12 kilometres okay so private transport's not an option really no 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 because you, you have two schools already in the area but they didn't want they didn't want to go there you know Okay. So they didn't, um, this is the one that they wanted to, because they'd spent the day there, they loved it there, and, you know, at the end of the day, Mick, they're going to be spending five or six years there, and you can't, you know, force them to go somewhere that they wouldn't be happy in, and I didn't want to do that. Sure. But once I thought that they were on bus, the bus, that that was, that that was it. Yeah, you so know, they, um, they had a place last year, you paid for yes. this year, how, how could they be bumped yes. off if, if there was a place last year there for them? I don't know. Don't know, and like we'll say, if the money wasn't taken, Mick, I would have maybe queried it because I saw the money. If I saw when the money was taken out, um, but no, the money was taken out on the fifteenth of July, and nothing more than like they had from the end of April registration for the school year closed on the thirtieth of April. Mm-hmm. So like they knew. And when was the money, money taken out? Fifteenth of July. Fifteenth of July. That's a kind of a tacit yeah. acceptance of a contract, isn't it? Yeah. So like six weeks later, then we'd say they had what. Um, two and a half months to kind of say, oh, we'll say there isn't enough seats on this route, but they still took the money. So that to me meant that I had my seats guaranteed on the bus. And did you get a refund since? Or are you accepting a refund? No. Do you want a no, refund? No, nothing. Okay. Nothing since. I, I checked my bank account yesterday to see was it back in and nothing has been paid back in yet. So, okay, I'm, I'm not a legal brain, but I'm just looking at this logically. If they had a place last year, if the money was taken for it this year, yeah. Then how can they be bumped off by saying it's full? I don't know. See, I can't get on to them. Now, I've got my local TD, Michael Moynihan, who has been great. He's been in contact with me since Monday, and he's looking into it as well. But as of yesterday, I don't think, think he'd got on to them because he wanted more information yesterday, but I've heard nothing since. Okay. Well, why don't we use the power of the radio programme here to, uh, yeah. to appeal yeah, to, to your local yeah. TD, Michael Moynihan, to come back to us? Uh, yeah. And maybe so, put that little bit of... I, I don't want to put undue pressure on any politician, but, uh, you know, you, you were good enough to ring the radio station for help. I, we really can't help directly with the story. I can't understand how this tacit contract for services was put in place by the, you know, the extraction of your money from your account, uh, which yeah. would give me reason to believe they're renewing uh, a, a contract for services that, yeah. that was fulfilled by them last year. Yeah. So where do those places go? Uh, and uh, we'll be very happy to hear from Michael Moynihan to see if we can get yeah. uh, an answer to this. Because as you said at the start, you're not the only one here. Well, I'm not the only one. So, like, if you go on Facebook, um, Nick, you'll see that the amount of comments on Bossier and Facebook page that people are having. And it's like, as I said, you totally rely on it and you just can't be given it one year and taken off you the next year. Do you know, it's... It's it's ridiculous sources, you know, and it needs to be highlighted and mm-hmm. and sorted, you know. Um, and uh, like, I don't want seats to be taken off another child, so that might too. But like, if you have seats, they should be made. We'll say either made more seats available or a bigger bus used. You know, sure. You you, you don't want your your children bus. to be taking seats from another child, but somebody seems no, to have oh, taken no. your children's seats. Yeah, like that, you know, like, and as I said, like, it's not a full bus, it's not a big bus that goes on this route. And like, last year, there was a big bus used every few weeks. So like, a big bus could be put. Could a bigger bus on, could so be put to accommodate everybody. Bus, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I suppose the buses that run up and down between Cork and Dublin Airport, if there's, I know they're probably all the same size, but just as an example, uh, if there was a, a bigger demand than one bus, they'd put a second bus on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, so, so, I, you know, so you you can get them to school, little inconvenience there, but it is yeah. hugely inconvenient to get them home. home. Yeah. All right, will yeah. you stay in touch with us and uh, we'll have an open yeah. invitation to Michael Moynihan to see if we can get to the bottom of this, not just for your sake, but for the sake oh, of no, anyone else it. who's suffering here. And, yeah. and hopefully yeah. get some clarity on how they could take your money and not give you the service. All right. Thanks a million. Thanks a million, Thanks. Caroline. Bye. All the best. No Bye. place Bye. on the school bus. Thank you. It's uh, coming up on 9.30. Back in a moment. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. And you can text or WhatsApp 0868-104-106. So I just wanted to say, this is in by text, that school transport is down to 50% capacity for school buses. There's a massive shortage in buses and drivers this year. Aren't we meant to be going back to almost, if not Full capacity from today? Uh, uh, I think we are. Uh, so is that that the school transport uh, amount of buses is down to 50% or that room on board is down to 50%? I'm not sure. But that's just come in by text. School transport down to 50%. Linda O'Brien joins us in line two. Good morning, Linda. Hi, good morning. Hi. Now, you're absolutely distraught because you are meant to be travelling today and it doesn't look like it's going to happen. No. I was okay. meant to be going to Turkey. Okay, for a medical procedure, do you want to tell us about it? Well, I've been trying to get uh, a medical procedure here for about two years. Okay. But they they, uh, they won't do it. I suffer with arthritis in my knees and my back. And I can't exercise, so I'm after gaining a, a few stone. Okay. So you're, 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 so you're looking to get some corrective surgery done in that area to bring your weight down? Yeah. Yeah, a gastric sleeve, okay. yes. Did I hear correctly on the news maybe over the last few days that there's a five to six year waiting list for this in Ireland? There is, yeah. Okay. There is. And if I wanted to go private here, it would cost me 12 to 13 grand, which I just cannot afford. I'm on a disability. Uh, I borrowed money for this and I'm after losing out on my flights. And, of, of course, probably a deposit on the, on the procedure as well, yeah? Yeah, 500 euros on the deposit. Okay. And can that deposit maybe be, you know, in, in these COVID times, can that be transferred to a later procedure, I wonder? I'm waiting to hear back from them okay. about it. Let's look at the reason why you are distraught this morning, and that's because you applied for your passport when, when, and you didn't get it. When, when did you apply? I applied three weeks and four days ago. Okay, did you apply online? Did you apply by post? Did you go in and make online. an appointment? Online. Okay. I was talking to somebody yesterday who, uh, in 24 hours, had a passport sent to them online. So, uh, just interested in, uh, in, in finding out why you didn't get yours. I, that is the question. And I've been ringing them and emailing them. And they were just saying that there's a backlog of 8,500 8, 8, and people are going away wanting passports to go on holiday I sent them a letter to state that I'm going for a medical procedure I'm not going on holiday it's not for a holiday it's for my life life changing operation you know Yeah. do you know the way before if you needed a passport in a hurry and you were able to bring in your printed off airline tickets you you could almost get it you know the same morning kind of thing yeah I sent all that to them 
Yeah, well, when you when the airline tickets are accompanied by you know the intention or the appointment for a medical procedure, that should surely heighten yeah, the priority. It didn't. It didn't. Didn't. Mm. No. Okay, I, I I know somebody else who's waiting eighteen months for a passport. Uh, came to Ireland when they were five, uh, paying huge taxes here. Have always paid taxes here, uh, and want to go and travel the world, and uh, has been waiting eighteen months. Uh, now that's a different queue. That's a different priority. Uh, it's somebody come in applying for, applying for their first Irish passport, even though they're here for thirty years, uh, and that's been delayed uh, severely. So I'm not sure if there's a huge backup in all areas in the passport. Having said that, as I mentioned, somebody got their passport online 24 hours. Well, I've, I've been seeing on the Facebook pages that people are getting theirs within two to three days. Mm-hmm. And I'm after to part, emailing passport complaints. I'm the DFA, Department of Foreign Affairs. I'm after, you know emailing them so many times. It begs the question, if, if, if you're attaching priority, like medical appointment, medical procedure, airline tickets, to try and speed up your passport, would you be better off not doing it at all and just sending it in and waiting for it to come back? I was thinking, would I be better off sending it in by normal post and doing it all online? Mm-hmm. But that's not going to change what's happening to you today, which is not being able to fly. No, no. By the way, I should be on the road now going to Dublin. Mm-hmm. So this operation, let's talk about your hope for the future, shall we? This operation will be yes. life-changing for you. Uh, it will it, be it, life-changing, it, it, yes. comes, it comes, I believe, with a certain amount of side effects. Are you aware of all of that? Yes, and I've known, and I, you know, the side effects I have now at the moment are a lot worse than the side effects from this operation. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're going to permanently reduce your appetite for the rest of your life because you won't be physically able to eat, you know. No, I know. Over, over I a, a small I don't eat a amount. lot anyway. It's just I can't exercise. I can't walk up my stairs. I can't cannot get in and out of my bath unaided. Okay, have have you tried pool walking, resistance walking in a swimming pool? That can be very yes helpful, and it can you know. Pushing against the water can build muscle and, and can help you lose weight as well. I done that after I had my knee replacement. Mm-hmm. And now I'm waiting on my left knee replacement. But it was cancelled three times in 2020 due to COVID. Okay, you're kind of in a catch-22 situation. You're willing to try diets, but as you try a diet, which is probably about 20% of what you need for the weight loss program, your lack of mobility is now hindering the, you know, the effect of achieving the 80% you need uh, to, to yeah. lose the weight. So you're, you're, in a, you're in a catch-22. You can't exercise because of the weight. You can't get your second knee because of the weight issues. Um, and now you can't get the gastric sleeve to reduce your weight, so you can exercise more. Yeah, catch-22. Okay, you mentioned you mentioned um, sleep apnea and a CPAP machine in your text to us. Uh, is yeah. that relevant? Um, what do you mean? Is it relevant? It's it's my life. Do you hope to get if rid I of this? Do you hope to get rid of that machine if you lose the weight? Yes. Okay. And do you find at do you the find, moment no? Do you find that uncomfortable, or do you find it helps? It doesn't help at all. No. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've. Uh, your application has been paid for. It's in process. Um, yes. one, once again, the same as the last caller in the bus airing issue, there is really nowhere you can 
uh, get straight through to a human being rather than a machine uh, to, to look after your situation? I've been on to agents on the passport, but that, you know, they just hop you off. They're, some of them are very abrupt. Yeah, I wonder how bad the passport issue is overall. Uh, because the last time I was doing this program for Neil, we had the same sort of uh, scenario regarding uh, driving tests and driving licenses. Uh, and you, you can almost tell, you, you can almost feel uh, what's going to happen to the health system as the winter starts to bite. Uh, because I, yeah. I, I think they're almost at capacity as it is. I think we're going to have lots and lots of bad headlines around passports, around the health service, and around driving tests and driving licenses and all that kind of thing uh, as, as the winter bites. Because I think, you know, the system is creaking. We're coming out of a pandemic where there was very low staffing. There's backlogs everywhere. Uh, and I just wonder what sort of winter we will be facing. But that's true. It's true. But they, they, I mean, if we had our passport office it would take some it would help a bit you know is the passport office not. open or is it only open for virtual and online um, and it's written only applications open for online okay uh, that should change mid september that's not much good to you though but you, when i asked him is the one in cork meant to be opening again he said he told me the one in dublin the dfa said they, that they have no plans for it to be opening in the near future mm-hmm who, who's, whose remit is the mean? passport office under? Is it Foreign Affairs or Transport? The Department of Foreign Affairs, okay. DFA.ie. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have, uh, as, as if to verify what I was saying there, we've got Tara on line five. Hang on a second. Uh, stay with us if you, if you like, Linda. Uh, Tara, good morning. Good morning. Hi. Uh, I mentioned somebody who got their passport in 24 hours. You could, you could uh, confirm that, could you? I can. I can. I actually got my passport in less than twenty-four hours, Mick. And you did it online. I, I did it online. I went down to San Macaulay's on a Thursday morning. Um, I got my photo done at twenty to eleven. They gave me my photo with a digital code to, ins- to insert when I was doing it online. I how came does that home. work actually? Because pe- people are people are wondering how do you upload your your passport size photograph online? Is it just a URL code? Yeah, so they give they give you a code with when you get your photos. They give you a code um, on the the photos, and you when you go into your passport then to to do the renewal, it gives you a choice. You can upload your own photo. You can um, uh, copy and paste. Photo. Copy and paste the URL. Is it copy and paste exactly? Yeah. Well, you don't copy and paste it because it's it's on a, it's on an actual physical paper. So you just type it in. Okay. Type in the code. And then you it gives a few minutes. Your 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 photo uploads. Then you can see your photo. Are you happy with that, etc.? So I uploaded that at about twenty past eleven on Thursday morning. Sent it off. Paid my fee of seventy five euro. And at half past nine on the Friday morning, my passport was in my letterbox. And is there sorry? Is there guard station stamping involvement here as well? No. No, nothing. Nothing. It's a renewal. So they oh, have renewal. Okay, so you don't have to get it it's stamped. A renewal. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Is yours a renewal, Linda? Yes. Okay. I know, yeah. it's, I, I know it's too late, but I'm just wondering again, if you didn't attach all of the priority issues... I did. Yeah. I've done exactly what that lady done with the photographs and stuff. Yeah. 
Okay, I wonder is there anyone who can help you? I wonder is there anyone listening in the official dumb that is out there that can source your passport and get it through on the basis, I'm not looking for favouritism, but on the basis that there is a, a pending medical procedure that you may still be able to salvage? Yeah, I would be able to. If there was someone there to help me, I'd be able to fly on Tuesday because they only do the flights Thursdays and Tuesdays. Yeah, and I'm sure your 500 euro deposit will hold until then and they can sort you out at that stage. What's the recovery yeah. process then with the, with the gastric sleeves? Three or four weeks? Is um, you'd be in hospital for the five days and then they put you into a hotel for two days and you go to be checked and to make sure you can fly home. Mm. And they give you a year supplement of vitamins and consults over the phone. Okay. Tara, you've, you've, you've a successful engagement with the passport service anyway. Where are you heading off to? Hello, Tara? Oh, she's gone. Okay. We've lost Tara there. Okay, Linda, uh, we'll follow your, your story with interest. Please keep in touch if there's anything uh, that uh, comes out of the system because of this phone call. Uh, and if we have anyone contacts us that can help you directly, uh, I wouldn't hold out much hope for that. Um, I don't think you can apply again either because you already have an ap- application in. Would that be correct? Yeah, you can't apply. Reapply again. No. All right. Okay. Thanks, Linda. We'll stay in touch with you. Linda O'Brien, thank you very okay. much. Thank you. Thanks. Bye bye. Now let's go to line six and to Tony. Good morning, Tony. Morning, Neil. Oh, I'm good. You're on about the government? I'm basically on both the ventilators that were purchased that, that required in the arrive and all of the complement that arrived, 41% were inferior and not fit for use. Yeah, this is over a year ago now when ventilators were the, the big lack in, in, in the service. Thankfully, we're, we, we seem to be covered in that area now. Uh, t- tell us what, what you know about that. Well, obviously, when you're watching the news last night, that there was a guy on from Dublin University said it was a disgraceful move by the HSE initially to purchase equipment that hadn't been tried tested and from basically from not known sources to a four suppliers involved who they had never met before. Now, would you, would you buy something without seeing what was made up? Mm-hmm. Would you pay for it in advance? They're looking to get back a percentage of the money, which I really don't want to come back. Percentage of the money, sure. That's that's still profitable for anyone who didn't supply. Uh, in yeah, the Irish, right. in the Irish Examiner this morning, uh, Tony, the HSC will appear before the Public Accounts Committee in mid-September, when a number of highly critical internal audit reports are expected to top the agenda. The executive has accepted an invitation to appear before the PAC on September 16th. This will come amid the fallout from two internal audit reports into the procurement of ventilators from China at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic and regarding the recruitment of non-consultant hospital doctors. Let's focus on the ventilator issue. The ventilator report found the HSE is still owed, wait for this guys, 35.2 million in refunds for ventilators that were never received and said that multiple questions around the governance and authorization of those transactions. Wow. My question is who signed the check? Is there going to be some kind of a sanction against the individual? I know if it was a private company he'd probably be sacked. You know, like we the e-voting machines, we'll have a, we the printer for Leinster House, we'll have having so many. <laughs> the list just goes on and on. And taxpayers' money being squandered. It's, it's just that's the real. That's the real pandemic here, and I'm starting to feel. 
the Controller and Auditor General is going to do a special report on the whole area of procurement during the pandemic. It seems to be like a gold rush in El Dorado. Was, but Mick, was he, was he asleep? Like for me, the banking crisis, the, the banking regulator was asleep. Is the Controller and Auditor General, is he not doing, he's not, obviously he's not doing his job. But my question is, who sanctions, who sanctions the cheque and who, paid, who signed the cheque? Well, to be fair to Catherine Murphy, the Social Democrat TD, she's vice chair of the PAC, the Public Accounts Committee. She said the ventilators would most certainly be one of the issues raised at the coming meeting. But she also said, and I think this needs to happen a bit more, not that we have a tribunal or an inquiry or a committee, uh, but point to the person who is responsible, uh, who would seem, I beg your pardon, let me correct myself, who would seem to be responsible in this area. Uh, Not for that uh, issue particularly, but she said, in her opinion, the HSE's head of procurement, Sean Bresden, should be among the officials to appear at the PAC hearing as we'll only be going around in circles otherwise. Fine words indeed. But he might appear like he'd send some junior civil servant maybe to the meeting. Like, it's no point having having him up before the public accounts committee unless there's going to be a sanction against somebody. Mm-hmm. And to make sure, like, look, Mick, we've, some, we've had so many purchases in the last probably 20 years that we don't even know about. Yeah, well, on Wednesday, the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, defended the procurement of ventilators from China in March and April. Uh, this was before he was Minister for Health, of course, which saw 2,194 machines being paid for and, in, only, in events, and in events. only 235 were required. That's right. No, personally, I have no grievance with Stephen Donnelly, but I just doesn't feel he's fit for purpose, to be honest. I okay. think he speaks out of both sides of his mouth at times. I think he's arrogant, he's obnoxious. And I think he's a very ignorant individual. On the other side of things, the government was at the time being screamed at, at the time by the opposition, the media, everyone in the country was screaming at them. Get the ventilators in at all costs. Uh, they bought PPE from China that, was, that wasn't fit for purpose. Yeah. I remember I remember they'd been on the Late Late Show and they wouldn't tie on people. They were, the sleeves were too short. Who actually went out to view these ventilators? Who went out to view the, the PPE equipment that was purchased? Who don't buy something off a website? Well, so, you, don't, you don't buy something unless it's you know, unless somebody with a medical ca- the medical capability to, yeah. to sanction it and to authorise you know, it just, as like, being fit for purpose. Point. Yeah, like on another point, Mick, we'll we have the airport closing on next week for twelve weeks. It could be fourteen weeks. Like Cork is forgotten. We have no voice. We have a, we have a Cork Taoiseach. We have a Cork Minister for Public Expenditure. And we have a Cork Minister for Foreign Affairs, and yet the, the naval prayer yesterday was all around Dunleary and all around Dublin. All around Dunleary and the Dublin Keys, the 75th anniversary yes, of the like, naval service, which is based in Cork. I suppose some would say we see enough of them here. It's a big treat for our Dublin friends uh, to see them out there. Past the O2, past the O2, uh, in Dublin, part across is the Killarney ship that used to be down the quay. It's a floating restaurant. Yeah. We lost it. Someone said that was sold for 75 grand, which seems very, yeah, very cheap. It wasn't sold, it was given away. Yeah, <laughs> at that price it's like a giveaway, isn't it? Look, my my thing about it is people at Cockburn would want to stand up, to be quite honest, because we're being left at down here. Like, when you see the infrastructure around Dublin, they have a loss going in all directions. They have a massive train station in, in Houston and Connolly Station. And they have five or six times the population as well, though, you know? Mick, hang on, I know we, we were promised a loss between the, the statue and Ballancolic four years ago. There's not... Not a sod turned. Pardon? Not a sod turned yet. Not a sod turned. We were promised a convention centre over in this whole quarter. The cranes are gone. Where is where is the convention? Where, where, where is it? Mm-hmm. 
I, I can never see the sense in putting it there, to be honest. I think it should be down where the marquee was. Exactly. I yeah. the Blarney Road, we have access. We, we were on a motorway and we have access. But look, it got Fine Gael votes at the time. And I'll be honest, Simon Coveney should hold his head in shame. Because he was in Patrick Street morning and the Kenny turned aside February 5 or maybe... He walked over from the Grand Parade, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, I remember that day. He was going for the Capitol... The, the Capital Cinema that was being... That was about 2014, I think. Seven years ago, was it? Yeah, and like, they're putting it off. And they're putting it off, and they're putting it off. Look, yeah. we're forgotten in Cockney. Uh, the, Mick, we're really and truly forgotten. And the people of Cock would really want to remember it next time round at the Bella Box. All right, Tony, I've got to leave it there. I want to get one more call in before news at 10. You're fine, Mick. Thank Th- you. Thanks a million. Thanks for your contribution. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Well, let's hold that call till uh, after 10. I want to look at uh, one thing that was in the papers today and a brilliant piece of writing by Jan Moore in the Irish Daily Mail today on page 17. The writing here really reminds me of uh, one of the guys who uh, used to write for Hot Press. He used to be my favourite writer. His name was Liam Fay, and Liam Fay released a brilliant book, 26 different chapters on uh, various uh, religious pishogues and uh, things you have to do like the pre-marriage course and a trip to knock and all of that stuff and it was a very jaundiced uh, look at religion in Ireland but let's look at the uh, monarchy and uh, royalism and the royalty uh, in the island next door to us and while I wouldn't be a big royalist or uh, have anything to do with the monarchy uh, I have to admit harbouring a a fantastic respect for the length of time Queen Elizabeth II has uh, put uh, to her country and uh, I was consumed in the first uh, couple of series I lost interest then in the crown which was a very very well made programme Uh, But uh, I could take or leave the royals. But this um, fantastic piece of writing caught my attention this morning. Just imagine another perfect morning in Montecito, Southern California. As the sun rises over the Santa Inez Mountains, an ocean breeze ruffles the leaves on the scrub oaks and ripples across the mosaic of swimming pools that stud this millionaire's paradise. Avocado toasts are slipped onto warmed plates. The smell of fresh coffee rises in the land of the elites. And then a terrible piercing scream rips apart the balmy calm. What often calumny has occurred? Has the boutique down the bay run out of sustainable cashmere? Are there too many pips in that organic mayor lemon? No, it's something much, much worse. Princess Pinocchio has finally had her nose tweaked. For deep inside Harry and Meghan's grand mansion set in an exclusive gated estate on a private street, a blast of reality has crashed in like a meteorite. One can only imagine how Meghan reacted upon discovering her complaint against Pierce Morgan has been uh, thrown out by the UK's communications uh, regulator, uh, regulator Ofcom. But for a woman with such a finely honed sense of victimhood, anything less than vol- volcanic on the stroppy scale would be a surprise. Megan was among the 57,000 people who complained to Ofcom and personally as well to ITV when Morgan stated he didn't believe a word of what she told Oprah Winfrey during their interview in March. I mean, really. Piers was kind enough to give Megan and Harry the priceless gift of candor, only to have it thrown back in his face without a word of thanks. Yet in a moment of triumph for freedom of speech, for broadcasters and journalists everywhere. But most of all, for the former Good Morning Britain host himself, Ofcom ruled that Mr Morgan was entitled to say he disbelieved the Duke and Duchess of Sussex's allegations and to hold and express strong views that rigorously challenged their account. So he has been entirely vindicated while Meghan has been accused of being part of a chilling restriction on freedom of 
expression. Wow. Uh, that's not going to be good for Megan, the self-styled humanitarian accused of a chilling attack on the freedom of speech. That can't be going down well in uh, Southern California uh, uh, in the Santa Ynez Mountains on that private street. It's uh, just turned three minutes to ten. We have news at ten on the way. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. You're listening to the Emerald Award-winning Music Station of the Year, Cork's Red FM. And before we get back to the business of the programme, I want to give this very worthy exhibition a mention. Curved Horizons is a contemporary exhibition featuring eight Cork emerging and established artists set against the dramatic backdrop of St. Peter's Church on North Main Street. The exhibition runs from August 28th to October 3rd. So it started, but there's a long way to go and you have plenty of chances to get there. With the regular opening times of St. Peter's and the admission cost is non-existent. It's free. So very well worthwhile going along and having a look. It's a provocative and uh, inspiring experience for all art lovers. And art lovers more than most, I suppose, have been deprived as well uh, of... uh, you know, museum access and the art gallery access and all that kind of thing. Uh, everybody suffered during the pandemic, but this is uh, certainly going to be a shot in the arm for arts lovers. The exhibition features various works by Tony O'Connor, Caleb Butterley, Jessica Barron, uh, Julianne Guiney, uh, Breed Moynihan, Mary St. Ledger, Orla Hickey and Claire O'Keefe. Curved Horizons, a contemporary exhibition featuring eight Cork emerging and established artists set against the backdrop of St. Peter's Church in North Main Street. Free admission is running on October 3rd and uh, it's there with the regular opening times of St. Peter's Church on North Main Street. Jackie, thanks for holding over 10 and welcome to the programme. How are you? Hi, how are you? You have a school bus problem as well? A taxi, yeah. Uh, he's had taxis since he's been four years of age. Okay. From, uh, from the city up to the north side. And then he went to secondary school in the city and he had transport literally five minutes. And now we're back up in the north side living there and I rang his taxi driver the other day and he told me he was actually been sent on a different route and I have no sign of transport for him. Okay, so who who was the arrangement? You had you had the arrangement with the taxi driver. Who had the taxi driver the arrangement with you to officially support your son's transport? I just think of them I don't know what taxi company was. I thought it was Dublin Street, but they're closed down. Yeah, but, but who's, 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 pay, who's, paying, who's paying for them? Is well, it the Department of taxes, Education, is it? Yes, Department yeah. of Education, yeah. Okay. Just no sign of a new taxi driver and I have to drive now from the north side to Dare Park School, drop, go home and then go back out again in the afternoon collecting four times a day. Okay. I put twenty. I put 30 quid now into my petrol this morning and that won't last me three days. Okay, so your son has had transport to school. He has uh-huh. autism uh, yeah. and, and this was provided last year and suddenly the guy's on another route. Yeah, and I was talking to another taxi driver the other day and he said they'll take they'll switch routes for a ten or less. Whoever organises it, they'll switch them for another taxi driver that's charging a ten or less. I mean, he's had the same taxi driver for the last two years and just sure, no. Gone. Okay, so is it, does the taxi driver have the, the remit? Does he have the ability no, he's to change? Told, he's told where to go. He's so, told who to collect. Okay. So if a taxi driver was on a more suitable route to where the taxi driver was living, he could accept another child's transport, uh, maybe at less money, and that would be attractive yeah. to, to the department, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's the, way, that's the way it goes. I mean, I, I know all departments are going to be told probably by, you know, from the top down, uh, you've got to save money. We've given away too much during the pandemic, but this is kind of bordering on the ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, 
It is. It's ridiculous. I mean, I was expecting the taxi driver to turn up. I rung him. And he said, no, I'm asking to change for another route. He didn't know what's happening with me. And okay. I've, I've emailed them, bus air in the Capwell station, and I've got no reply. Okay. Uh, it's a strange one. I, I don't know why that would happen. Uh, and once again, you're left with nobody, no point of contact to... To, no, no to find out what's going on or to see if it can be uh, fixed for you. Yeah, and the school has nothing to do with it. I asked them this morning, they had nothing to do with it. Yeah, it's, it's not their responsibility. No, it's not their responsibility. Okay, so you have to take on parental responsibility now until you can f- provide that service yeah. again, to which your yeah. son is entitled. I hasten yeah, to Yeah, and he, he will be missing school because I won't have the petrol. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I'm not loaded. Yeah, I know, but uh, when, when, when you have the petrol, you, you will drop him over. But oh, he, yeah, he's yeah. going to be missing but school I mean, because of this. I mean, it, we'd have to get two buses otherwise, and then I'd have to get a number two bus, then I'd have to get a number three bus, then we'd have to walk from Turner Strath up to Dare Park School with a big heavy sack, and then join another two buses home. Okay. You know? Yeah, you're, you're not the only ones uh, that's uh, suffering here. We seem to be getting a lot of people saying that the. There's issues with transport. Everything was fine last year in the middle yeah. of the pandemic and now that things are starting to spin up again, uh, it seems that a, a lot of these services are out, out of whack. He had transport when I didn't think he was entitled to it because I was too near the school and he had transport. And I was next and I was like, oh, right, the transport, great. And now you're and distant now from the school and you know he's entitled to it and he's not getting it. No, he's not getting it. All right. Let's see if we can look into it further for you, Jackie. Thanks a million. Yeah, thanks. Thank Good you. Luck. All of us, spotlight. Now to a different topic completely, and this is making the morning papers as well today. The hospitality staffing crisis. Brian Bowler is the general manager at the Montanati Hotel in Cork and is president of the Irish Hospitality Institute as well and joins us in line five. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, how are you? I'm good. This seems to be, you know, the the last time I spoke about hospitality issues with uh, Aaron Mansworth and uh, with the uh, the owner of the uh, Vienna Woods Hotel, it was all positivity. It was all things are starting to open we're we're getting our staff back but now it seems that the the impetus is on the opening and the things are really starting to speed up as regards the relaxation of of these restrictions it looks as though there's a major staffing issue um yes there is i suppose uh, when we did come to the point of reopening um hospitality on the 2nd of june i suppose uh, we we found that a lot of uh, People who work in the industry, um, given the the length of the last lockdown, you know, it was it was over five months. I suppose we were closed from Christmas Eve right up until the second of June. So uh, I suppose it was the third lockdown in our industry. It was particularly long, and a lot of a lot of uh, the people who worked in our industry uh, were non-nationals, and they decided to re- re- return home at that at that point, or decided to you know instead of kind of staying at home because other industries were busy and were were, were kind of open and operational that uh, and they were looking for for staff, so they they left the hospitality industry and weren't working in, in other areas. So it was it was quite difficult at, at the opening stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but but like you know we we had a, a pretty good summer here now in Cork particularly particularly here for me speaking from the Montanati we're quite happy with where the summer went but uh, we were certainly challenged in terms of, of getting staff and um, I suppose we're at we're at a point now where we've come through the busy kind of summer months we we had a good summer and we're going into September and it's gotten significantly quieter over the last couple of days like you know it's very noticeable uh, we're quite happy I suppose given 
the, the, the broader picture, the way business levels are at in September, in comparison to September's of old, it doesn't, it, it doesn't come anywhere near, mm. but I suppose given the current circumstances, not too bad. A lot of our staff now that we would have had over the summer months would have been uh, college students, so they're returning back to college and university, and uh, so, you know, we're, we're, we're back to the situation again where I suppose it, it's difficult um, to, I suppose, to, to staff all the hospitality uh, industries around, around the city and and the county, and it, it, it's a problem not just here in Cork. It, this is this is a national issue, you know. And just to put it into perspective, I suppose, Mick, I, I had a director of food and beverage who started with us here uh, yesterday. It was his first day in the job, and I had to go as far as Japan to find him. Uh, and I wow. suppose my first conversation with that gentleman was this time last year. So he's he's twelve months in in the making, and he's come from Japan, and I interviewed. And try to interview people locally, nationally. I interview people from the UK and across Europe, and I eventually uh, got somebody uh, who who uh, relocated from Japan. Okay, I have, a, I have a pastry chef on the way from Sri Lanka who we're looking to, to process the work permit for. So, you know, that's just two examples um, out of our team. You know. Yeah, it, it was always difficult, I imagine, for hotels to get chefs. You know, when, when, when people are working late shifts and you've got to work till 10 or 11 at night and you can get a, a, a job maybe that is 9 to 5 or 9 to 6 in a factory or in that sort of catering, it's always going to be difficult for the hotels to compete there. But now I think it's a perfect storm. You have a huge pent-up demand. You have people who have been restricted in their movements from home over the last 18 months. They have probably got a bit of a nest egg put aside because they haven't been holidaying. They want to go out and enjoy themselves. Uh, they want to um, occupy your premises to the limit of restrictions. Um, and then your service element is struggling to, to meet that demand. And, and I imagine you're, you're struggling to keep your necessary quality up there as well. Um, yeah, I suppose. Look uh, again. I'm quite happy for us here in the Montserrat how how the summer went uh, with that in that regard. I suppose sometimes, like when when people speak about the hospitality industry, and I suppose let's take hotels in particular. Um, like you know, I suppose the focus is around you know maybe chefing or but it's all about you know uh, cleaning pots and pans or, or making beds. But like the diversity of of roles that that that's available in the hospitality industry and in hotels, everything from finance to sales and marketing to digital marketing, you know, reservation. We've even got gardeners and groundkeepers and maintenance people. We've got the spa. We've got the health club, as well as your chefs, your chefs and your your, your bars and your restaurants. You know, it's like um, a cruise liner or a little city unto itself, isn't it? Well, it certainly is, like, you know, but within that as well, it's almost, I would look at it nearly like a school and a university as well. There's fantastic opportunities in our hotels for, for training and development and learning, and there's loads and loads of courses out there right now at the moment that are between 90 and 100% funded uh, from the government because just trying to get people trained up and upskilled and to, to retain them in the industry as well. So I, I would say like, that there's probably never been a better time to get into our own industry, industry right now because the opportunities are, 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 are huge. Like in terms of, you know, you can nearly go in and it's almost like looking at a college prospectus and you can decide what department you want to work in and whatever you want to, to get trained in because hotels will invest in, in the people and invest in the training. And if you want to become a front office manager and you're 18 or 19 years of age, come in and start as a receptionist and we'll train you up and we'll get you there. We've got people in the kitchen who started in, in accommodation or maybe started in the bar, but they had a passion for food and they came to us and said, can we go into the kitchen? We said, absolutely. And we trained them up as a chef and so on. So, you know, hotels give people careers and give them pathways and the whole lot, you know, and 
we have no issue in the wide earthly world. If somebody comes into us and, and works with us for three or four years and we train them up and they decide to move and move to another hotel or move to another industry, because, you know, we feel that we've, we've, we've developed them and we've given them life skills and the whole lot, you know. So it's, it's not about keeping them here working in, in the hotel forever. You know, people need to to go on and progress and develop in the whole lot like you know so like and we want to be part of that journey as well and I think uh, hotels and hospitality as a whole play, play a massive role in that you know we, before the, the pandemic there was 270,000 people employed in hospitality in Ireland making it like one of the largest industries in the country and in terms of the spread of it to the regions around Ireland like there's no town or village in Ireland that isn't isn't touched by the tourism and hospitality industry so it's a really really important sector for, for the economy in Ireland Okay, and I know I'm going to be accused of saying this over and over again, but I've never said it to you, so I'll say it now. Uh, successive governments have treated the tourism industry as um, an export or as an import industry because we import tourists, when it's actually an export industry because we export memories. An export industry brings in foreign capital, and that's exactly what the manufacturers, the big manufacturers in Ireland are doing. That's exactly what the tourism industry is doing in the hospitality sector. You're importing foreign capital, you're giving them good service, you're creating huge employment, and you're ex- Exporting the memories and the photographs. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, <laughs> like you, you, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. Okay, I, I want to quote your own personal words here. The sector is painted unfavorably, unsociable hours and low pay, but people don't appreciate the opportunities that it offers young people. I have no third level qualifications and I think I've carved out a good career for myself and I think these opportunities at times are not always appreciated. There are many um, listeners, Brian, in their 40s, 50s, even 60s, uh, and uh, I myself went down that route of cutting your uh, your employment teeth in the uh, in the hospitality area, picking up glasses uh, at, uh, you know, in your early teens uh, serving behind a bar possibly at 14 or 15 years of age before the uh, you know the restrictions on health and safety and, and the snowflake mm. uh, era yeah. came uh, is it fair to say you, you know you're not going to have 13 14 15 year olds in the sector anymore it's going to be 16 plus people are entering the sector later than they were decades ago yeah, no, that, that that is correct. Yeah, no, certainly. Uh, I would have been one of those people. I, I think my first job was 13 years of age and uh, I was pulling points by the time I was 14. Yeah, as same well. here, same uh, here. You know, so... Um, good old and, Commodore uh, Hotel in Cove. Yeah, well, I, I'm from West Kerry, so it was back, back in Dunquin. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, that that is true. Like, you know, I suppose people are coming into the industry uh, really kind of, I suppose, like 17 is probably the youngest we, we would have had working with us on a kind of part-time basis over the summer. Um, but, like, mostly kind of the 18 years of age, now when they get into it, 17, 18 years of age would be the youngest. But, look, I, I, I took up a training manager program when I was 18 years of age. I did a cert course. Uh, and again, this is what I'm pointing to in terms of the opportunities that are there in the industry. I, I initially went to college to study computers. I didn't like it. I, I, I had grown up in the hospitality industry. I did a cert course uh, over four years uh, through a hotel in Killarney and graduated out of that uh, through cert and went on and worked in various hotels up and down the country over, over a number of years. And, you know, I suppose I've worked in every department in a hotel. I'm the general manager of the Montanati and the president of the Irish Hospitality Institute. Wow. And I don't come a long way from, ter- from picking up glasses. Um, yeah, my, my late friend Donny Cavanagh was from Dunquin. He used to run the ferry out to uh, out to the Blasters. I knew, I knew him well. You know, Donny, did you, you don't sound <laughs> like a guy I'd meet on a Saturday night having a set dance in Kruger Cavanagh's, by the way. So where, where, did I, the, where did the accent go? See, the accents in the whole lot changes when I said put back in West Kerry, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back with the natives then, you know. All right. Uh, how, how many vacancies, if any, do you have in the Montanati at the moment? Or how many vacancies do you know uh, around the city? And could you maybe advise parents or those listening who are of an age to, 
take up something in the hospitality industry to, you know, that it's a positive move. Absolutely, yeah. No, like we, we, we have a number of vacancies in the hotel uh, and surprisingly enough, we've one chef on the way and a work room, but other than that, we're, we're quite well set for, for chefs. But like, you know, like we have opportunities in our spa, in our health clubs for health club assistance, like accommodation assistance, night porter, day porter, kitchen porter, you know. So, you know, like I would say about any hotel in the city and in Ireland, like, you know, you can you can come into the hour industry and take a job that gives you eight hours a week if that's all, if that's what you want, or anything up to forty hours a week. You can have a day job, a night job, a morning job, an evening job. Like we are completely flexible. We're ideal for people who, you know, maybe only want to work two days or three days a week. Maybe they're it's it's a stay at home mom or a stay at home dad that's looking to come back to work. We have those opportunities that, you know, so and there's not many industries out there that could be as flexible as we are and then provide the kind of training as well on top of that as well, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I would say probably uh, every hotel in the city really are, are looking for, for staff at, at various levels across a number of different departments as well, you know. And it can be very social, it can be very rewarding, it can be very educational. Uh, I know it didn't do the brain any harm when you were kind of dealing with five or six people in advance coming into a bar. There was no PLU system, no price listed under. You were counting up the pints of Smithics and the pints of Guinness and the vodkas and Cokes. Absolutely, And giving the figure, w- w- without even going to the till, you, you'd say to someone, those four drinks are seven, seven pounds and twelve pence, please. And, and they'd yeah, believe you. Yeah. But they know you yeah, were right. Yeah. But like, I mean, on that as well, as somebody who's 17 or 18 years of age coming into the industry, if you're working in, a, in, a, in an area like, like reception or even porting and stuff, like the people skills that that gives you over a period of time, like it gives you confidence in dealing with people as well. Like, and, you know, I suppose that I have three kids, my eldest is 14. I know we're in the age of tech and they love their iPads and their phones, but geez, I'd love to get them back, get them working in a hotel in a, in a people-facing environment, like, you know, when they're old enough to do that, 16, 17 years of age, you know, to give them that confidence in dealing with people and give them those people skills and, and kind of bring themselves out of themselves you know what I mean? So okay, one, one critical text here Brian, it said, what is this lad talking about? Opportunities in the tourism and hospitality industry, opportunities don't pay bills for people, decent wages do. How would you answer that? Well again, like like any industry and any position, like the ones that I, I, I named there from finance to sales and marketing to digital marketing right down to whatever position you want to pick in the hotel. Like if you're coming in at 18 years of age and you've no experience whatsoever there has to be a starting point. So, you know, for example, here it'll be, it'll be just above minimum wage for somebody at that. If you're coming in here and you're, I don't know, maybe you've 10, 15 years of experience, you're coming in as a chef, for example, there are fantastic salaries to be had that would, would stand up against any other industry. And, and, and I know, know that for a fact. I've spent 25 years working in this industry and it's... If at some point in period of time over those 25 years that I felt I was undervalued and I wasn't getting paid a fair pay for the work I was doing, then I wouldn't still be in the, in the, in the industry at all. And I would say that for my colleagues as well. Okay, that, that's a fair answer. I guess you, you come in at a starting wage, you have every opportunity to advance and to uh, you know, create a career in many different areas, if, if that is your drive. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, okay. and, and hotels will support you on that. All right. So you would encourage people to maybe investigate the hospitality industry what in whatever form, uh, cafe, restaurant, bar, fast food, hotel, uh, in whatever form, and, and to maybe form a career there for themselves. Absolutely. And there's, there's more formal routes you can go down as well. Like, I mean, there's fantastic colleges like the, the Munster uh, Technological University now have great courses here in Cork. There's a great training manager program in, in Tralee. Um, you've got the Shannon College of Hotel Management, if that's what you want to do. There, like, there's college courses in Ireland, uh, in Cork, 
Limerick, Shannon, right up to Letterkenny, Dublin, right across the country, you know, from everything from uh, culinary to, to management to um, uh, to, to all, all different types of hospitality uh, related businesses, you know, that you can get, you can go, you to go do certificates or degrees or even go on to do masters and so on, you know, so there's, it, 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 it's, a, it's a huge um, mm. opportunity out there. All right, and of course you have to be understanding as well when you have award-winning bars and restaurants like Bonnie and Ellen's in Myrtleville recently announcing a week-long closure as a result of their staffing crisis. Reardon's general manager John Stiles said while they recently managed to hire a number of supervisors for the Cork Entertainment Group uh, sometime months ago, uh, he was close to panicking. Uh, so there are shortages in the industry. If your local bar or restaurant has to close for a day or two to accommodate time off and uh, because of short staffing, then please try and understand and continue to support them. Brian Bowler, General Manager at the Montanati Hotel and President of the Irish Hospitality Institute uh, from now until 2023, actually. So uh, best uh, wishes with the remainder of your tenure. Thanks for coming on the Neil Prendival Show. Thanks, William. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Now let's go to... Uh, I want to talk about my own little staycation in West Cork as well uh, later on in the programme, but now he's been holding for a while and a good friend of the programme is George. Good morning, George. Good morning, Mick. How are you? Thanks for holding. You're, uh, of course, a musician and looking forward to strutting your stuff once again after how long? 18 months? Strutting my stuff. Yes, I am. I, I don't know. I think it's been about 30 years now. <laughs> my ego feels like it's been about 30 years. Uh, yeah, but it's only been about 18 months. But you're part of the Roaring Forties, of course, and uh, yeah. a very versatile band. I know you're often Neil's guests here at the Jazz Weekend Times. Um, so yeah, uh, how's it been long. for you? Uh, well, the break's been uh, strange. I've been doing, I've been doing a master's in uh, history, so that's like kept me occupied. Uh, I've missed the um, I've missed the theme, um, but it's you know it, it's it's just what it is. I mean, don't you know, musicians we have breaks. You know, after Christmas we don't really work until sort of April. Uh, well, but um, the sector that I'm in doesn't. Um, as for getting work during the time. Um, you know, it was like my my career. I mean, I've been doing this for twenty years, so this is my career now. My career prior to that was uh, an industrial engineer. And, and, and did you get course, much support? All the software and everything. I can't. I did you get much go support, George, from, from the government in, in in your time down? Uh, yes, they gave. I got the three hundred and fifty every week. Um, I'm pretty self-employed. You know, all my taxes up to date and everything. So uh, that's been. Beneficial. It's paid for the wine. <laughs> <laughs> as, as you're sitting around, so it's going to be a big day on Sunday for you. Six o'clock at the Cold Case. This this is an outdoor gig, I imagine, is it? I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's on a stage. I think it's, it's with the council. Um, it's uh, Sinead Dumphy. It's the Soul in the City, um, like um, organisation. They're, they're running it, but uh, I think it's going to be the, um, the council stage. So it'll be a big one. Okay. I don't know. I think there's other people on as well. We're playing at um, six uh, to eight, and um, I'm looking forward to it. We actually played outside the Commodore about three weeks ago um, in the uh, bandstand. In the bandstand, in the promenade. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This uh, this Soul Weekend is going to be a big thing, and, and it's going to be a, a nice little step up, I suppose, to to the full resumption of of indoor live music because it's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a long time. Alright, yeah, so. Yeah, it's going to be, um, uh, yeah, it's going to be great. So, uh, Cold K, nice this weekend. Cold yeah. This weekend, six o'clock, the Roaring Forties, and uh, I'm sure it's going to be a very enjoyable gig. And welcome back to the scene and welcome back on stage, George. 
Thank you very much indeed, mate. Thanks Thank a million. All the best. Uh, don't yes, miss that one. The Roaring Forties, they're a great band. Sunday the 5th, this coming Sunday, uh, live at the Cold K on stage at 6pm. It's 10.30. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. It's Mick Mulcahy on the Neil Printerville Show at the time. Uh, 32 and a half minutes after 10. Neil Printerville on holidays and will return on Monday week. We have Liam Conway from the INMO, the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation, on the line. Good morning, Liam. Good morning, Mick. Now, the INMO says that plans for reopening society need to include extra capacity and support uh, for burnt uh, supports, I suppose, for burnt out and exhausted staff. So, uh, please enlighten us on that. Well, I suppose what we're experiencing over the last number of weeks is significant overcrowding in our hospitals across um, Cork and Kerry and across the country. Um, again, today, this morning, CUH has 38 patients on trolleys. The Mercy has 14 um, overcrowded environments obviously are a serious concern in normal times and obviously with COVID-19 that's a biological hazard and a hazard in a community and that poses a serious uh, issue for both staff and patients in overcrowded environments at present mm-hmm. and there needs to be more done in terms of alleviating the overcrowding it comes back to the, the story that we've been on about for the last number of years and um, governments ha- have not, haven't really not addressed it in full mm-hmm. which is in relation to bed capacity both in our acute hospitals and in a community. Cork City is desperately short uh, with step-down facilities to ensure that people can be discharged before they, they go home when they've had their acute treatment. They need uh, discharge beds in terms of rehab, rehabilitation beds. There also needs to be more um, investment in terms of home care supports and, and home care packages as well. Um, and that's leading to delayed discharges and that's why we see overcrowding um, each morning in our, in our hospitals across the city. Okay, I don't think there's a family that has been touched by overcrowding or inadequate resources uh, and that haven't been touched in a positive way uh, by the absolute resilience and dedication of the staff working at the, at the front line. Uh, and I don't mean to be flippant about that, but once again, it's the same old chestnut. It's almost like Groundhog Day. Uh, we were talking about this many years before there was a pandemic. Do you think the pandemic is now giving them an excuse to say, well, we were under so much pressure during COVID. Will they ever get it right in the health service? I think the, the truth of the issue is that overcrowding never went away. It just simply wasn't symptomatic in terms of uh, COVID-19. People weren't presenting to the emergency departments. People weren't presenting to their GPs because of the fear of contracting COVID-19. Now what we see is the pent-up demand of services from COVID-19. But overcrowding has just reared its ugly head again. It, the problem hasn't gone away because of COVID-19. It has always been there. And now we see, for example, consistently now over the last number of years in the summer months, um, heading into the winter period, we see the, the trolley numbers increasing. And what we've seen over the last number of days, um, quite, quite frankly, is a crisis here in, in Cork City. And, um, you know, it's a really, real concern. We have to remember these emergency departments that are overcrowded are workplaces as well. Um, it's not good enough for patients and it's not good enough for the staff working within them. And there needs to be urgent action taken. Um, while um, winter plans, again, have been touted, and we need these to be deliverable and delivered with immediate effect because the overcrowding is now, the winter has already landed in terms of if you're in the health service, working in the health service or availing of the health service. So um, these plans need to be actual with immediate effect. Okay. Now, you're, are you a union or an organisation technically? We're a union. You're a union, okay. Okay, so, so your union has described the overcrowding at Cork University Hospital as out of control and extremely dangerous. Now, just from an uninitiated perspective, I'm just looking at it from, uh, you know, a guy who doesn't know much about the system. Uh, but if 738 patients 
were forced to wait on trolleys at the hospital emergency department in August. This cannot bode well for infection control, for safety in the workplace, for those who are already to the pin of their collar, emotionally, physically, they must be exhausted uh, after the pandemic. And now you're saying that we've reached winter already. This is August just starting into September. Uh, What's going to happen in October, November and December in the health service in general and in Cork in particular? Well, it's predicted that the figures will significantly increase over the next number of months. And um, to combat that, we've called for significant investment from the diagnostics um, in Cork University Hospital. For example, CT scanning out of hours is a pivotal service. We've also called for additional consultant rounds out of hours to ensure maximum discharge rates, utilisation of private bed capacity um, in the bonds no matter private. So significant uh, areas that need to be invested in. Also as well, all blocks in terms of recruitment and, and recruitment delays need to be removed. The HSE needs to prioritise recruitment of, of critical frontline posts such as nursing and midwifery. So there are immediate solutions that can be put to effect to alleviate um, the predicted overcrowding coming into the next number of months as well. And it is true, Mick, our members are very tired. They are burnt out. And um, it is very, very difficult at the moment out there on the front line, whether you're working in the emergency department whether you're working in maternity services, which has seen huge demand over the last number of weeks, um, or working on medical and surgical wards. So really what is needed is a real, um, I suppose, combat and immediate solution in terms of Cork City for overcrowding. And a number of suggestions and proposals that we put forward to the HSE, and we wrote to the HSE on that here locally in Cork to address those matters. Um, and also, I suppose, it is important as well to say that the union has sought and a number of other unions have sought recognition for frontline workers as well. Uh, and that is a matter before the Labour Court in the next number of weeks as well. OK, that's um, happened in other countries, hasn't it? Yes, it has, absolutely. OK. Um, I'm, I'm just looking at the juxtaposition here between this interview and one I had about an hour ago, or less than an hour ago, in which if you are a ventilator manufacturer in China, you have no bother getting 35.2 million uh, and owing it back to the HSE. But if you're at the front line of the health services that the HSE is supposed to be managing, you have a radical inadequacy, seemingly in all areas, but especially in the emergency department. Yeah, and I think, look, it's a fair point. I think, look, um, th- there needs to be a real joint-up thinking in terms of dealing with the, the problem. So, well, hang on um, a second. We, we have a teacher who's a former minister for health. Um, we have a Tonish, was he a former minister for health? Was he a Varadkar minister for health? I can't remember. Anyway, he's a doctor. Yeah. Uh, so you, you would think there's enough expertise at the top table to say, right, guys, we need to fix health once and, f- once and for all. We can't really. Well, we can, but we don't want to. Go back to the public and say, for the next election, we're going to fix health. Because we've been saying it for 50 years. Uh, we need an expert group to say what, and, and you're making some sense here. Uh, this is what we need to eradicate the problem of 738 patients being forced to wait on trolleys uh, in the emergency department in the month of August alone. There is That is the glaring need at the front end of the health service. Yeah, I think, look, the, the blueprint is there. It's launched there. It's um, integrated between uh, all political parties. They've agreed on this is the, the map going forward. But we've seen over the last number of years, prior to COVID-19, it hasn't been invested in. And it, the investment has only commenced of recent uh, times ahead ahead of COVID nineteen. So, and um, we're playing catch up at the moment. We have to remember that uh, we had more beds um, in the service in two thousand and eight in, in the health service than we have now. Population has increased over five million on the island. 
yeah, our population is ageing as well. And we can, our, our people in Cork can't get frontline care in terms of, you know, um, home care patches. Uh, there's huge difficulty trying to get that ahead of the winter period as well. We also know that people are having difficulty to get to GP appointments. Our members are stating that people are presenting to large families and they haven't been able to access their GP for various reasons. Um, so, like, there really needs to be investment in primary care services as well. It's not just simple to, you know, throw money at an increased bed, bed capacity in Cockney versus Hospital. Those beds will be filled if we increase bed capacity just in CUH. Uh, you need to actually look at uh, why are people coming in and wh- what are the other reasons or other factors uh, which I've mentioned there as well. So you need to have investment both in having step-down facilities so you get people out of the acute hospitals sooner rather than later when they've received their, their, their acute treatment. People want to get home, but they can't get home immediately because there's delays in getting um, home care patches or having home health services available. And then on the front line, for example, as well, um, it's extremely difficult both in, across all of our acute hospitals at the moment because of staffing deficits as well, which has been impacted around COVID-19. And the main point there as well is that people are burnt out and that, that's really coming home to roost now at the moment. And, and people, and I know, I know this for a fact, are using uh, the non-acceptance of discharge to leverage the support they need from home help because they'll just leave their loved one there until the package is put in place. That's holding a bed that's probably not needed. And so that could be fixed by application of resources elsewhere in the healthcare system. Yeah, absolutely. And as I mentioned there, you know, it requires a wide approach and, and, and multiple approaches to address it. And this, the problem really is overall the health service hasn't been investing correctly. Um, particularly since the um, moratorium in terms of recruitment embargoes uh, and also the downturn in the economy a number of years ago. So we're now only trying to, what we're seeing is investment in the health service has been massive investment in terms of COVID-19 and dealing with that. But the old problems are still coming back and home to roost in terms of overcrowding, which is obviously the lack of capacity and uh, available of services at home in the community. Doesn't that have to start by bringing the capable staff back from foreign shores by giving them decent wages so that they can operate here for their own community and their own country. Uh, because what do you need to have a bed in a hospital? Probably five or six full-time staff, maybe one doctor, one consultant. Um, you know, obviously a doctor and consultant would would uh, spread across a number of beds, but there's, there's a staffing issue. It's not just buying a bed. Yeah, absolutely. I think, look, the, the big concern we have at the moment is that with the borders opening up, a lot of a lot of nurses and midwives will again go overseas. Um, and I suppose CUH is desperately recruiting and a number of the acute hospitals are desperately recruiting across both locally and internationally. Um, but the, 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 the recruitment and demand are not being met because they're playing catch-up since COVID-19. And what you have is a lot of people going abroad as well. And there's a number of issues with that. So, for example, um, conditions at present are very difficult and challenging across all of our acute hospitals across the country um, in terms of staffing. So that's, that's causing significant difficulty in terms of retention. We also have in relation to, to hours and, and working conditions. So if you're working in the emergency departments at the moment and um, you're working in an overcrowded environment, uh, and for example, then you, you know what's coming this winter. So th- there's a number of issues. Like the agency has to take drastic action with a government response as well in terms of dealing with the overcrowding for the sake of the staff that are working on the front line and also for people who are trying to avail of services. And we come back to the issue then again as well, is that a lot of people, are their gateway to getting into the healthcare system is through the emergency department and, and that's not good enough in this day and age as well.
Okay, so uh, the hospitals are asking people to consider all options before turning up at the emergency department. You, you're across this whole situation. If you were to finally, and, and I know I'm putting you on the spot, just a couple of bullet points. What's the solution here to this continuing decade after decade inadequacy in the health service? What has to change? Is, is it the upper levels of management that we're top heavy with? Is it the lack of resources and funding to give proper wages to those on the front line? What is it? I think the first piece is to remove all the bureaucratic um, blocks to recruitment. Um, recruitment needs to be uh, sped up. It's, it's delays in recruitment to recruit um, critical frontline posts is causing massive difficulty. It slows up recruitment and obviously we can't meet the demand. The second point then is there needs to be investment in bed capacity both in the acute hospital division and also as well in the community services for step-down facilities as well. And the third item then really is that there needs to be investment in home care packages and home support services ahead of the winter and that these packages are available for people to get home um, who still need a bit of support after having their acute care. Sure, and, and don't underestimate the positive effect that will have. If somebody who needs support has that package waiting at home, that bed becomes free. Well, absolutely, and I think the, the big problem in, in COH and the Marshall at the moment is delayed discharges and that's simply because people have had their acute treatment, they don't have a step-down facility to, to be discharged to or they don't have services to, to, to um, avail of when they attend home because simply the packages are not funded or the right amount of home health hours are not available. So the, these are problems that are, have been here for a long time and really, unfortunately, they haven't been dealt with. And what we see, again, is a chronic uh, symptom of lack of investment in the right areas over the last decade or so. And what we predictably can see if, if these measures aren't put in place ahead of the winter is probably one of the worst years on record in terms okay. of overcrowding. You're predicting it right now. Let's watch it over the next four months. Liam Conway, thanks a million from the INMO. Let's go to line one and to uh, Dan. Good morning to you, Dan. Hello, Dan. How are you? Good. Now, you were in A a couple of months ago. I was, yeah. And uh, I was outside the double doors. But I think when uh, when, when we hear the, the counting trolleys, they're only counting the people inside the double doors up in the COH. They're not counting the people that are sitting on chairs for, for hours and hours at all. And it's not just that fault. When I was there, PJ, uh, uh, make the staff were ran off their feet, lad. Ran off their feet. Yeah, I, I suppose, look, you, you can't count people who are not admitted yet. You, you, they're in a queue to be admitted inside the double I, doors, I, as you say. I know, I know, I know. I understand all that. But so we're, we're actually getting, we're getting the wrong counting. Okay, so you, 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 what you would contend is they should be counting the people waiting as well? Yes, of course. And that last call, I know, he was talking about uh, the, the crisis has, has, uh, has, been, has been ongoing for the last 10, 15 years. I, I go back further, I remember, in the very late 80s and the start of the 90s, they closed thousands of beds all over the country. And we've never, never caught up with that number again. Yep. And look at all the staff that came home from all over the world and they employed a hundred or something of them. Yeah, I know. So the North Infirmary became a hotel. Yeah, exactly. That's what I say. They have, 50, they have a big, massive land bank down at Southwest Court. Now they're talking about another hospital. Listen, I, I'd say no. I, I, won't be wrong, uh, I won't be wrong before that's built anywhere. I was 13 hours waiting in an emergency department in a Cork hospital one New Year's Eve. And when I was admitted, it obviously too late to celebrate that. So spent the uh, the New Year's yeah. in 
in a bed. Uh, in, no, it was a bed. It wasn't a trolley. In, in a bed, but in the emergency department. Um, so, yeah, the staff run off their feet. I, I can certainly empathise with that. Uh, oh, they ran off their feet, yeah. It's, it, and I'd, I'd, say, I'd say one more, you know, uh, you, like, look, we have the same problem in the housing, and I just want... They left the housing, go to control. They left to go, and they're after leaving the hospital thing, go to control as well. That's my view now. Out of control. And if you leave stuff, go to control. It's hard to, to start it all out fast. Okay. And on the other okay. side of it, once again, and not to harp back to it too often, uh, the whole farcical nature of this is that the ventilator report just released from the HSC oh, is sure. still owed no, 35.2 million in refunds for ventilators that were never received. That's the listen, two sides of the story. Thanks a million, Dan. Make, make one second before you go. If I just say one more thing okay. before you go. If, if you were to read all the headlines on the amount of money, money that's wasted in this country, you build two or three CUHs. Or two, two or three national children's hospitals. That's another you hole on the ground. All right. Dan, thanks a million. Cheers. Bye-bye. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Eight minutes to 11. Good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. And a few weeks back, we got behind a GoFundMe for Bobby Lynch. Now, we've spoken to Bobby a few times on the programme over the years. A very popular Cork taxi driver and brother of Katrina Toomey of Cork Penny Dinners fame. Uh, one of Cork's most loved citizens, of course. Now, Bobby sadly had his leg amputated and he needed to get some gym membership. And to update us on everything that's happening is Gemma, who's the marketing director at district.ie, who have shown uh, serious generosity in this regard. Good morning to you, Gemma. Hi, good morning, Mike. How are you? Now, very good. Now, Bobby needed, as part of his rehab, he needed to get access uh, to gym membership. And, of course, uh, somebody with a big heart was bound to step in. Tell us what you did. Um, so, we are District Health and Leisure here, and we're based in um, Silver Springs in Tivoli. Um, so we are one of the largest privately owned gyms in Cork here um, and we have a beautiful state-of-the-art gym, functional gym and um, a 25-metre pool as well. Um, so we just felt uh, we could help Bobby, obviously, with his rehabilitation and his recovery and we'd only be too delighted to offer him membership here, complimentary on us. Wow. Um, we, yeah, we just believe like that our members and staff here are just second to none. You won't find anybody like us up here. And we have just a huge um, community spirit going on. So not only will his physical um, being be uh, rehabilitated, we'll also look after his mental health up here as well. Um, he'll just become one of the family as soon as he walks through the door here. That's the thing about going to a gym or a pool or a leisure centre yeah. on a regular basis. You do actually meet people and they almost become familial. They almost become, you, you all know each other by your first names. You're all, how, how's yeah. the missus? How's the dog? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, uh, people don't have to spend too long up here for reception staff or gym staff to get to know them. Um, and definitely when uh, the same people come to the same sessions all the time, there's a group of ladies there that come swimming every week. They now go for coffees after their swim here in our beautiful cafe. They get their hair washed and blow dried in their lovely on-site uh, hair and beauty salon. So it's really a community spirit that we have going up here. It's it's not just a gym here. It's all about the lifestyle and it's all about the activities that we do together. Spoken like a together. true marketing manager, Gemma. 
<laughs> well, you know, this is my job, so this can, is what we do here. Can you tell, me a, a, can you tell me a little about the, the premises and, and the offer right now? I was a member of that club about 30 years ago when former Lord Mayor Joe Cavanagh was working there. Uh, and then it was part of the Silver Springs Hotel group under the yeah. uh, uh, under the Moran yeah. family. And then it went into kind of private ownership and then it closed. What's yeah, the current situation? So, so when it closed, um, we actually uh, acquired it here um, in October 2019. So we were only freshly opened, really, before the whole pandemic hit. Um, and we had a lovely, steady flow of members just before the pandemic. And it just goes to show the kind of spirit and, and the people that we have up here. We have very loyal members that all returned here to us um, once we reopened fully, I suppose, back in June. Um, and just with restrictions at the moment, like we really have been able to pull it together for our members. There is um, just very little uh, interruption to what people can do here. Um, because we have such a large area, we can host all our, out- our classes outdoors now in pods of 15. But with the news there that Michal delivered during the week, we are now in serious planning mode to get our indoor group activities back on track and timetabled for September 20th. A lot of, so, a lot of people wonder, you know, when is the steam rooms opening? When is the jacuzzis yes, opening? When are the saunas yes. opening? We we have a magnificent sauna and steam room here and um, we have been doing everything by the letter here in District Health and Leisure under any of the government guidelines that have been, been provided. So we um, assume that we'll have everything open by the 22nd of October. We're just waiting for updates constantly there. Um, you know, uh, some some information can be quite vague. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're aiming towards the 22nd of October to have the sauna and steam room open. Okay, very good. Yeah. Okay, well, well done. As a marketing manager, you didn't miss one opportunity to get in a positive mention for <laughs> all of your facilities. To, you'll have to come up yourself. I mean, if you haven't been here in 30 years now, that's a shameful uh, admission on your part. So please come up. And for any of your listeners that are interested, we're actually running a fantastic competition as well on our social media. So make sure you check that out. Um, and as always, just give us a call and we will happily right. show you around the building. Thanks a million, Gemma. Marketing uh, Manager at District.ie. And thanks for your generosity uh, for popular all, cork driver uh, Bobby. Bobby Lynn sadly lost his leg and needs the uh, needs the gym and needs the mental, I suppose, yeah. the camaraderie to keep fit and active and Absolutely. keep himself going. Thanks we'll a million for that. Thanks, Thanks a million. Cheers. After news at 11, we're going to talk to uh, Mary Lou MacDonald, the leader of Sinn Féin, on the ever-changing positions of the key players involved in the Marion Gate affair. Hey, it's Kira. Tune in to Saturday Breakfast on Red FM from 7am and wake up your weekend with music, chats and all that's happening in Cork. That's Saturday Breakfast on Red FM with me, Kira Revens. Imro Music Station of the Year. You're on Cork's Red FM. And we're joined by Sinn Féin leader Mary Lou MacDonald. Good morning to you, Mary Lou. Very good morning to you. Now, this is my first time speaking to you, so... Uh, well, hello, nice to meet you. I've tried over the years, but, uh, but here we are now. And uh, there was, and I bring a musical element to it, there was a song by the Bards called um, Lanigan's Ball, which said, I step out and she stepped in again, he stepped out and he... This is like shenanigans ball, and it must be manna from heaven uh, for a leader of the opposition. Uh, Leo Varadkar, Simon Coveney, back in the spotlight again over the UN special envoy role. And if I bring it back to the start of all this, it was simply... Uh, probably an untoward party that may be Im- infringing on uh, COVID restrictions that caused all of this to happen. Well, I suppose shenanigans ball is probably as good a description as any. And I know it's extreme, like it's exasperating for everybody when you see all of this stuff playing out um, again 
But actually, the, the, this story begins not so much with the shindig in the Merion. It begins with a government finding a job, a makey-up job, as it's been called, for a friend of theirs um, being called out on it because there was no proper deliberation or procedure. We know that the Taoiseach, it seems, Michal Martin was completely blindsided on this. He didn't know that this was happening. He didn't intervene at Cabinet to put a stop to it. Um, And it was only when it became public knowledge, there was commentary on it, there was public anger and outrage about it. And of course, Zappone, Catherine Zappone, ends up not taking the job that her friends had teed up for her. That's actually where it starts. And it's important to say that this is just the the latest in now a litany of uh, happenings like this. I mean, whether it's leaking confidential documents to your friends, whether it was that whole uh, controversy, if you recall, around the appointment to the Supreme Court bench and the the lack of proper procedure in respect of that and all of the questions that uh, arose. And it is, I have a terrible sense of deja vu and here we go again. And I mean, you might regard it as kind of manna from heaven for us, but to be honest with you and to be really blunt, today uh, should be a day where we are scrutinising the government's lack of progress and delivery on housing. They're going to launch um, a plan today and try and bamboozle people with big figures over four, four extended billion. timelines. Four billion. But instead, instead, here we go. We're, we're talking about their cronyism again and little wonder that we have chaos in housing and health and so on when governments still in this state in the year 2021 on the watch of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil amounts to who you know rather than what you know and you scratch my back and I scratch yours and all of those old cliches that amount to probably uh, shenanigans ball as you put it. Yeah and, and there's a certain circling of the wagons now and that's because they've kind of been caught out and I'm drawn to the American political adage that says when you're explaining you're losing. Yeah, well, the problem is that, that that there was no real frank explanation or presentation of the, fe- the facts given. Your listeners know that Simon Coveney was called before the uh, committee, the Foreign Affairs Committee. Um, he, he was, uh, to be blunt about it, uh, all over the place. He he said that he had had no contact with uh, Catherine Zappone. He said that uh, Leo Varadkar had only made the most general of inquiries around, you know, how things were with, with uh, Catherine Zappone before meeting, meeting with her and going to this uh, do in the Marion. We now know because the, the texts are out there, the information is out there, that it seems Simon Coveney had in fact spoken to Catherine Zappone, that Leo Vradkar was well aware, well in advance of this uh, appointment and in fact, that uh, Catherine Zappone had lobbied, had made contact with, with Farrakhar to know what the state of play was, not generally, but specifically about this job that they had created for her um, and was looking for Leo Varadkar to give her some information or, or to find out. So there has been a, a desperate attempt to um, cover their tracks um, and it has been very unedifying to witness. It's certainly not the way that government should or or can operate. And, you know, I I don't know at what point uh, Simon Coveney, Leo Varadkar and indeed Michal Martin will actually get the message that people do not want politics operating in that way. And this kind of 
um, backslapping insiders, old boys or girls club um, that has been the hallmark of uh, Irish politics for, for decades, for generations. And that came, by the way, at a cost. To, to regular people is not acceptable. So mm. what we need now is proper accountability. There's no doubt Simon Coveney has to go back into the committee and he is now going to have to give a full, comprehensive, frank and credible account of what actually happened because he failed to do so on his last appearance. Okay, these were the preserve, of course, of the, of the, the late Fianna Fáil tent, but now it seems to be their partners in government that are displaying this, this cronyism. Can I ask you about the decision by the Tónista to release his text messages? Because this is remarkable in itself, because the officials in his department said they didn't exist when they were sought by journalists under the FOI, Freedom of Information legislation. And, and now he releases yeah. them. Is, is it from some position of imperviousness? I can't be sacked as Tónista because the the government will come down. So the Taoiseach, maybe unfairly, can't do anything. Yeah, well, you know, you, you really would wonder, I mean, on, on, on two scores. Firstly, um, for whoever responded to the FOI request and said that these materials or texts didn't exist when, when we now know that they did. I mean, I, I would like to know how did that happen? I mean, the claim that... Uh, the tarnish that was on holidays and and therefore they couldn't have known really doesn't stack up. I mean, it strikes me that if an individual were on holidays and you're seeking information, you can always look for an extension, you know, but you go and verify the fact you don't put um, incomplete or misleading information into the public domain and certainly not by way of response to an FOI. And just to say... This isn't the first time that this has happened. I mean, my, my colleague Pierce Doherty, who, as, as you may know, is an assiduous user of FOI, um, has had uh, had an experience with um, with Simon Harris in a previous controversy around a leaked confidential contract, which is now, as you know, the subject of, of a Garda investigation. But um, he, he had sought uh, text communications um, emanating from Minister Harris. Uh, he was told that they didn't exist. And then, lo and behold, screenshots of these uh, texts and conversations appeared in a publication. So this government has form on this. What's extraordinary is um, Hall Martin's capacity to, to turn the other cheek and look the other way. I mean, in my view, when Coveney bounced this job for uh, uh, Catherine Zappone, onto the cabinet table with, with no notice and the Taoiseach says he was blindsided, Michal Martin had right to put a stop to matters at that point and not to allow it to proceed and not to allow himself as head of government to be blindsided um, in this way. And it still remains to be seen what exactly he proposes to do to ensure that ministers on his watch, and it's a coalition government, but he is the Taoiseach, he, he is the boss, he's in charge. But surely self-preservation and, uh, must be kicking in, Mary Lou. Self-preservation must be the order of the day here. They're circling the wagons. The Taoiseach is, is, isn't going to censure somebody who could bring down his government. Well, look, where are we then? Like, where, where does this end? Because there, this is, there, there has been a litany of this behaviour. This is clearly how uh, Fine Gael behaves itself in government and as you've said yourself it would make even the most um, the most hardened feel a fall or blush some of the, the behaviour and you've members now of government coming out and I, I think reasonably asking you know how is it that some uh, had to fall on their sword Barry and Cowan down. came out this morning and said yes, exactly that exactly yeah and there's there seems to be a different standard and I have to say it's, it's, it's not very often 
that I would find myself in agreement with Barry Cowan on, on matters, but on, on that score, I think he asks a, a very fair and a very pertinent question. The bigger issue is beyond politics and be, beyond political personalities, and it's, it's a question for the general public, um, uh, where I believe there is still such an incredible appetite for political change, for a new type of politics, for a new type of government. And uh, The question is this, how long do we tolerate uh, governments that behave in this way and, and believe that the, the, the scent and the smell of entitlement from all of this, from everybody concerned, is just overwhelming and staggering in the year 2021. I, I mean, I obnoxious Ma- is the word I would use. Mm. I believe, Mary Lou, there was some basis to Simon Coveney saying he was uh, hacked before. He was subject to a phishing scam uh, and verifiably sent uh, messages to hundreds of people saying don't to ignore any message they may have received from him because he was hacked. So, so there is a bit of history there. Uh, but it, it's kind of extraordinary, the revelation, he, that he regularly deletes his texts. Uh, and this caused Antishuk yeah. to come back and say, whoa, hang on a second, guys, we need to have serious record keeping here. Absolutely. I mean, anybody who, who holds a, a ministerial position um, and is conducting business um, for and on behalf of the state, uh, and, and I mean, there's a ministerial code to ensure that, that people are not in the business of deleting or, or keeping from plain sight information or exchanges and that's to protect everyone by the way including the ministers uh, in question I, I mean on the issue of the hacking I am assuming therefore that the minister reported this to the data commissioner I mean there would be a, this particular hacking episode uh, there would be an obligation to do so given that um, that uh, he would be holding and exchanging sensitive information so I'm, I'm assuming that happened I, I, he has brought this hacking incident into the public domain. He, he says that that is the reason why these particular texts were deleted. I, I think that has to be tested, and I'm, I'm sure that is uh, just one of the many questions that will be put mm-hmm. to him when he appears at the committee, and that needs to happen quickly. And then other documentation that the department holds um, that they're saying they're going to re- release, that needs to happen quickly. We need to have all of this out into the public domain. Okay, now, uh, this was a storm in a, in a teacup that seems to have turned into a shark with teeth. Uh, the, the, there's clear and present danger for this government now. But throughout, Simon Coveney has said that Zapponi did not lobby for the job. But now it's revealed her first text to Leo Varadkar on the 16th of July explicitly asked him about the role and if yeah. he was expecting to hear positive news from Simon Coveney. Yes, yes, and I, I, I mentioned that earlier. That's clearly the case, and, and so... Um, it, it, we now learn that, uh, in fact, there was lobbying and also that uh, the minister misled the committee. OK. And it, I mean, that's a serious thing. You can't go in and bear in mind when you're speaking at committee, you're placing things not just on the public record, but on the doll record. And that was clearly misleading. I can only assume that Minister Coveney did not imagine for a second that his colleague Leo Varadkar was going to release any text. Okay. That's my working assumption. Okay, we would all have to work under that assumption. A couple of more questions, if you don't mind, Mary Lou MacDonald. Where sure. will it play out from here, do you think, and where should it play out? Well, I, I think the first thing is that uh, Simon Coveney needs to go back into the committee and he, he needs to give now an accurate account, a full and accurate account of what happened um, the, the, from start to finish. 
and including um, the uh, genesis of this particular job or envoy position. Um, I, I think we need frank uh, honesty in respect of the interactions between him, between Leo Varadkar and Catherine Zapone, between all of the above and the department in question. I mean, how was that processed by his department? How was it decided that an envoy was required and an envoy for these purposes uh, and so on? Is that and a pensionable again, envoy, course, Mary Lou? Is that a pensionable right. position? Well, it's not, but I, I tell you, it's a, it's a position that probably carries more by way of prestige than monetary return. Okay. But in any event, um, any any situation where people are representing the state, not just the government, but the, the, the Irish state, I think there has to be transparency um, and oversight and people shouldn't be pulling a fast one at the end of a cabinet meeting, blindsiding the head of government um, and then furiously uh, covering your tracks thereafter. That's that's not um, that's not the way that things uh, can operate here. OK, there are four main protagonists here in this so-called shenanigans ball. There is Catherine Zapponi, Leo Varadkar, and you're broadcasting here into the heartland of two of those protagonists, both elected yes. in Cork South Central. That is Micheál Martin, who is on Taoiseach, and the Minister for Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney. Now, it would be remiss of me uh, on this first conversation we're having, because I've put it to both uh, Simon Coveney on occasion and to Michael McGrath on occasion, that the raison d'etre of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael at this time in their lives is to keep you guys out of government? Yes. Well, I'm not sure that that's their entire raison d'etre. I mean, you, you could speculate that it's to advance at times the interest of a very entitled um, uh, interest in, in our country. But yes, after the last election, um, I mean, they, they didn't put a tooth in it. They were quite clear that they came together and that their, their primary motivation was to keep us out. And not just Sinn Féin, because... I don't want this to become almost a navel-gazing exercise by Sinn Féin about Sinn Féin, but the, the, the more profound point is that they wished to keep change out. And when you see things like this playing out in the public domain, then that's your answer as to why they wanted to keep change out. Because it, for these guys, it is simply business as usual. The rhetoric of you know, change and moving on and but but the evidence is that it it's actually the same the same old same from the same protagonist. And my God, if if the view was in fe- February twenty twenty that we need a, a change and a change in government, the, the evidence since February twenty twenty I think has just stacked up and strengthened that argument even further. Are you sorry you didn't run twice as many candidates? I am. Um, I'm. I'm sorry that we. Uh, I, I'm sorry that we didn't um, manage to uh, be part of and and lead government. Um, but but I can tell you beyond that and more than that, I'm absolutely determined that when the opportunity arises again, that we will be match fit and ready for the challenge. And then, in all humility, we will go to the people of Cork and the people right across the state in humility and ask for the chance to demonstrate how government can deal with housing and can deal with health and can deal with building opportunities for people and how government can be 
of the people, for the people, in touch with the people, and not simply a vehicle for the entitled. Okay, well, one final direct question, Mary Lou MacDonald, and lest I be accused of making this a Sinn Féin party political broadcast, I've, sure. seen, I've seen some nepotism on the part of our national broadcaster towards your organisation, and I've also seen, and people have felt, the scare tactics that have come out about Sinn Féin holding the justice portfolio. How would you handle mm-hmm. the justice portfolio, and, and what sort of a Taoiseach do you think you'd make? Well, I mean, the justice portfolio is is a crucial one um, because we rely on the institutions of the state and Garda Siakana, the court and justice system, to keep us safe, to vindicate our rights, to keep our communities um, safe. And, And I have to tell you, I represent, as you know, an inner city constituency and communities. And uh, we've been through our fair share of of troubles and our fair share of experiences where people haven't felt safe and have felt very, very exposed and and vulnerable. So for me, a Sinn Féin justice minister would be about uh, the administration fairly um, and, and impartially. Of, of the law and of justice to, to vindicate the rights of citizens and also to keep communities safe. I mean, I'm, I'm conscious that the, the Gardaí um, are stretched to the limit uh, in the community in which I live. We, we need more out on the beat. Um, and we also need to develop really, really strong, healthy, supportive relationships between community and um, the, the men and women of Vanguard Shiaquana and the, the wider justice system so I, I, I don't think that um, that for us uh, that that portfolio would, would be in any way uh, contradictory to our, our core Republican aims um, and imperatives, which is all about people's quality of life. And of course, feeling safe in your home and walking safely on the streets is, is part and parcel um, of all of that. And as to your second question, um, you know, none of this for me, and I say this very sincerely, is about me looking for a big job. You know, this isn't this isn't about a job for the girl. If well, you, can, if, can I put it to you like. then? Can I put yeah. it to you then? If you tell your party, keep your nose clean, don't get involved in any trouble, and let these guys mess it up for themselves, we'll be home and host. Look, um, it, politics is is rarely rarely that linear. You know, um, there's an ebb and flow in all of these things. But but for me, it's it, it's not just about us keeping our nose clean. Um, although it is, I, I expect that 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 we keep our noses uh, clean. It's about actually setting out in real terms how you solve the problems that are that are really uh, bothering and causing difficulties for people. And let me just forgive me if I come back to the issue of housing today, because you're going to hear a lot from the government, I assume, about this new plan that they are putting forward. We've waited a long time for this plan, and what, from what I'm seeing from the media leaks of it, it's very much more of the same. And I, I can't tell you how frustrated I am and we are by that, because this is a huge challenge for all of our society, and particularly for younger people in terms of the rental system, uh, the affordability of affordable housing, the, the ability of, of people to live in Cork or Dublin or Galway or in rural or wherever uh, and to have a chance at, at, at uh, starting their family life and the, their professional careers. All of that is now actively undermined by the housing crisis we're in. And we have a government that is in a state of paralysis that cannot or will not move beyond the same old, same failed policies uh, that they've pursued for decades. So government for us 
has to be about changing that and, and why I want us to be in government and why I would relish the opportunity of leading that government is because I know and we know that this can be done differently this can be done better and that the housing crisis as profound as it is has answers it is not beyond us the difficulty is that you have a government that is stuck in the same old saying of cronyism and backslapping and not prepared to move an inch even when their policy is so obviously failing us all. Okay, Mary Lou MacDonald, Leader Sinn Féin, thank you for this first conversation. Thanks it, so it much, behoves, very nice it, to talk to you. It behoves us though to offer the platform to the four protagonists as well, Mary Lou, because that's in the interest of balance. So uh, the airwaves are here if um, Montishuk wants to join us or indeed if any of the other uh, people involved in this, uh, Simon Kovnik or indeed Catherine Zaponi or Leo Varadkar. Mary Lou MacDonald, thank you and good morning. Thanks so much. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. Just turned 11.30 on this Thursday morning, the second day of September. Before we go back to our phone, I just picked up on something in the Echo. We cover the story back in April. Uh, a man is to be sentenced today for stealing a bulldog, a cork man who confessed to the robbery of a 14-month-old French bulldog valued at €2,000 uh, from its owner in Cork will be sentenced on Tuesday. Uh, sorry, tomorrow. The uh, case was listed for mention at Cork Circuit Criminal Court where it was indicated the accused man had entered a signed plea of guilty to the robbery and uh, the apparently allegedly grabbed the dog uh, and took him into a Ford Focus which was driven away and this is according to a uh, detective. The dog is Rocco uh, Garda Brian Murphy charged uh, Michael Malloy of Onfoil, Coolord and Carrick County Cork with carrying out a robbery at Ballancolly Road in Ballyvalan on the 11th of April of the 14 month old French bulldog Rocco from Dennis McCarthy. A dog worth €2,000. The owner is aged around 30. Previously had thanked the Guardian and credited social media for the dog's safe return after a successful online appeal. And that makes the echo today. To line six now and to Brida. Good morning, Brida. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm very good. Now, uh, we have uh, a, a story of uh, an Orle Island Sunday uh, when something happened and uh, something happened to correct that. Tell us all about it. That's right. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a lovely place in Kelly's Caravan Park down in Garyville. Lovely. And on the beautiful Sunday that it was, this was before the match, obviously, <laughs> we heard a helicopter just come up over our site, literally over our little shadows, and we came out to look, obviously. And um, it was the air ambulance. And unfortunately, um, somebody needed it across the road from us, and the air ambulance literally, like, landed outside the house. It was in there for a while, obviously helped by um, ground ambulances and the critical care team. And they went into the house and rescued, I think it was a baby, God love us, and was taken away in the ambulance. And I couldn't believe how fast they arrived and how efficient they were and how lucky we are to have the service. So I thought it should be mentioned okay. because I know they depend on voluntary contributions to keep going and I know we nearly lost it there I think last year or the year before it was going to be taken away because we didn't have funding and I thought oh my god without this where would that little baby be and I just thought fair credit due to them all Okay that must have been it's, it's kind of nice to see a helicopter up close but a helicopter it coming was, in over the sand that must have thrown up a bit of sand didn't it? No, it was actually the other side. It was on the ground side, so it wasn't actually on the beach. It was literally grass, on yeah. our site. Yeah. yeah, on grass. And it literally landed in the field, turned and literally 
landed outside the door of the house where the poor child was and everybody then just went in and did their business took the child away in the in the air ambulance but like to see it was amazing it was absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic and I thought we're so lucky to have that service I know my old buddy uh, Michal Sheridan has uh, has left his position where he was doing a lot of good work fundraising for the Mercy Hospital Group uh, to yeah. uh, to work with an air ambulance. I wonder is it the same one, uh, and, c- and could we maybe get a way that uh, people could donate here? That's what I was thinking, you know, because like a lot of people on our site, I know we all watched. We were like somebody being nosy, but it was just the helicopter you could nearly touch it it was that close to us and everybody was fascinated at it unfortunately for the people that needed it but at the same time it was good to have it and everybody at the time said you know what this is what needs to be supported well well done because therefore but for the grace of God go us you know so I just thought well done to everybody involved and I hope that somebody will listen and say this is what needs to be helped. It's an invaluable service because it, it, it can beat any traffic restrictions and it can get people to the critical care they need in time yes. much faster than you can on a road of course. So well done to all yes. involved on All Ireland Sunday. Uh, may not yes. have been a good Sunday on the sporting field but on your field no. uh, there was on a life field, was, more than yes. likely saved. Yes, definitely, definitely and I thought they were so efficient and so professional and it was an amazing thing to see and I just think credit you to everybody involved that day and I hope the child is alright. Well let's see if we can find out how people can donate to that air yes. ambulance service and if it's uh, if that's something that they want uh, I'm sure all fundraising uh, I'm not sure is this a government air ambulance or is it is it you know privately funded air ambulance? I think it's privately funded Mick, I'm not certain it was red and I think it's privately funded and just to see it in operation I hope we'll never need it but it would be always good to have it obviously mm-hmm. Okay, well done Thanks Brida. All right. Thanks, Mick. Thanks, cheers. Bye. 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 Now, I know Neil was talking about this yesterday, but just a reminder that Sophie Toscan Duplantier's son uh, has been confirmed as a guest on the opening programme of uh, The Late Late Show, which is kicking off on Friday night, of course, as well as Paula Donovan, Fintan McCarthy and Emily Hegarty, our Olympic heroes, are also going to be on the show. Uh, and Pierre-Louis uh, Baudley Vignon. Uh, his appearance follows the release in recent months of two docuseries on the murder of... Uh, his mother Sophie at her holiday home near Skull in December 1996. Uh, both documentaries coming at it from slightly different angles and possibly offering uh, the the listener and the watcher slightly different conclusions. So it may be nice to hear from Pierre-Louis uh, on the Late Late Show on uh, Friday night. It follows comments made of course by French President Emmanuel Macron uh, last week during a visit to Ireland suggesting a new trial could be arranged for Ian Bailey in France if he agreed to travel there. Of course he's not agreed to travel there. Now Cork is rocking for days. And uh, to talk about that, we have a matchmaker with Love HQ. Love HQ. Mairead Lochnan on Line 5. Uh, good morning to you, Mairead. Good morning. Sure, we're, so there's no dating going on. We're all locked down. That we're not in lockdown. We're completely out. Dating is back. And I'll tell you one thing. Dating is back with a bang in Cork, I'll tell you. Okay. I, I can imagine that dating is. I can imagine dating services are, are up there and they're busy, especially the online ones. But I thought we were long gone past the days of the matchmaker. We're definitely not. I'm up and down to Cork at least every second week, if not more, um, meeting clients all over Cork, all over the Munster area, actually. I travel all over Ireland meeting clients. Um, I have probably arranged, matched over, I'd say about 750 people on dates all over Ireland since wow. May. Yeah, it's, it's been it's hugely popular. Obviously, I've been doing this for almost five years all over Ireland. Um, but since lockdown has lifted, uh, it has just been absolutely insane. Like people really would like to meet their life partner, 
and they're coming to me looking for real love. You know, there's no messing or anything like that. People, genuine people that are like, I would like to meet my life partner and get start that next chapter, start my love, real love story, you know? Okay. Now, I imagine the social media and, you know, the digital categorization of people can, can offer some services here. Where does a matchmaker specifically give an advantage to someone? Because I know you're going to champion the cause of the matchmaker. How can you help? Well, basically, for a lot of people that come to me, one, they're exhausted with online dating. You know, for many of them, they've been swiping for a very long time. Also, a lot of my clients are professionals. They're, you know, from kind of late 20s upwards, right up to their, their 80s. So for a lot of people, they like to come to Matchmaker for the confidentiality as well. My service is 100% confidential. I meet with all of my clients in person. Uh, we get to know them, the type of person they'd like to meet, and then anything else that I feel might help me to match them. At that stage, I might, you know, you might identify that they might be single because of they might be lacking of confidence. For some people, they, you know, um, can find different elements of dating quite difficult. So if there's something that we can help them with at that stage, we will do so. Um, but then as well, I arrange all of their dates for them and I also follow up with them after each of their dates. So think of, you know, maybe a professional business owner or something. They might have up to 50, 60 staff. Uh, they don't want to be on Tinder. They don't want, you know, they might know who their staff are, but they don't know who their staff's brother, you know, sisters are, or brothers are, or cousins sure. or anything like that. So they want to keep an element of privacy. Right, are, are you on loudspeaker there? No, I'm not a loudspeaker. Sorry, no, I am pulled in because I'm actually on my way to court to meet St. Clients today. Okay, Sorry, okay. Sorry, it's a we'll, line bad. It's, a, it's, it's not the best, but we'll struggle on anyway. So you're responsible for, then, you must be responsible for, for marriages. You must be responsible for babies. Yeah, we have had so many marriages, babies, engagements. And I also like to add millions of kisses as well because, you know, uh, for a lot of people, it's not all about getting married. For some people that come to me, they may have been married before and it's not their main objective to, to do that again. Um, but we, I, you know, the amount of marriages and babies and everything along the way that we've had. Uh, and for a lot of people, I suppose it's quite confident. But I can guarantee for a lot of listeners, they have been at weddings that have been set up by myself or by a matchmaker that they have, nobody knows about us. Like, okay. I think matchmaking is probably Ireland's best kept secret because a lot of people don't like to say we were set up by a matchmaker. They'll say that they met out in some lovely co- uh, pub in Coros on a Saturday night, you know, a year ago or two years ago. It's rare enough that people will say sure. I went to a matchmaker. That begs the question then, how many people are just not going out or sick of going out or not having any success going out or able to go out or able to go out out. and are approaching a matchmaker and what sort of success can you offer them look we can never guarantee success what I would say is like let's be realistic we will do our very very best to match you we have obviously had a huge amount of success we can't guarantee love but I do guarantee that it will be a positive experience for you Um, what we do is we arrange all people's dates for them for a lot of people going out on a Saturday night the opportunities are not there as much so for a lot of people that maybe are in their 30s they might be in a situation that you know their friends are having babies so they're at home more a lot of people as well their jobs may have become you know dried up or whatever may not have been able to continue due to COVID and lockdown and everything they may just not be out as much at the moment it's very difficult we also get a lot of GEA players you know they're not out on a Saturday night because they're training and um, also as well they don't want to be seen online because they get inundated with, uh, you know, fans and everything like that. You know, a lot of people like, will only date someone from Leicester sure. County and all this crap, you know. <laughs> but, um, 
Like, look, you know, we offer a 100% confidential service. I meet every single client in person in Dublin, Galway, Cork, Limerick, O'Kenny and Mullingar. I arrange all the dates for them. I follow up with them after each of their dates. So at least, you know, if we haven't gotten a match on their first date, we get a better match the second time. So I'll ask them lots of questions. Yeah, so you get a couple of bites so, of the cherry. Are, are you in a oh, place where you can step out of the car safely, Marit? Because the, the line isn't great. Uh, you're not on a okay, busy road so. or anything, are you? I'm not, I'm not, I do. It, it is a busy enough road, if I'm honest, yes. Okay, well, we, we don't want to compromise your safety in any way. So you're in Cork today meeting clients. You're going to offer the matchmaking service. What type of person typically will come to you? I don't have a type of client, if I'm honest. We get people from all walks of life. Um, I get a lot of business owners, as I said. We get a lot of professionals. I also get maybe people that work in the public sector. We get a lot of farmers, a lot of anybody that's... Uh, recently picked up the Farmers Journal they would have seen that I do a lot of stuff with farmers or, or people looking to meet farmers I am however looking for a lovely gentleman in his 50s will say that might be a guard or that sort I have a lady then in her 50s that I met the last time I was in court there two weeks ago she would love to meet uh, a guard in his 50s with her dream but like that I have people from all walks of life so I know we're getting experience levels for some people they have, may have very limited dating experience because maybe they might be a little bit shyer or, you know, they may have, unfortunately, not been able to focus on their dating because... Sorry, their sorry if, I, if, if I'm being a bit facetious here now. You're looking for a guard in their 50s, a male guard yes. in their 50s. Is, yeah, is, well, is, that person, is that person interested in the uniform or the pension? All right, no, she, she's a very good job herself, actually. She's very professional and has a, you know, has a very good job herself. It's just something, her ideal situation. People don't come to me and say, look, set me up with anybody. They always give me their ideal, you know. So okay. she was like, oh, ideally I'd love to meet. But she's not just closed off to someone like that. So if there's any nice gentleman in their 50s who would like to come to me, absolutely. Um, of all ages, though, as I said, we meet people from, let's say, mid-20s right up to early 80s. Um, and I'm willing to talk to anybody from all walks of life, all ages, doesn't matter, as well as I said, their dating experience. Everybody's welcome. Love is love. And once people are looking for love, I'm always happy to help. But I guess it's all about the database. Social media doesn't work without, without the, uh, the database. So if you've got an 80-year-old uh, looking for love, you must have a 70 or 80-year-old to complement that on the other side, yeah? Absolutely. And that's why I suppose we're so busy, you know. Um, as I said, I've sent over 6,000 people on dates in the last five years. Um, so, there is, you know, there's a huge amount of people out there looking for love. And also that is why I'm saying, well, that it, our matchmaking is probably one of Ireland's best kept secrets because a lot of people don't know that their friends met up that way. They think that, you know, they're not online, met on the night out. Um, men especially might be a little bit more private about it. But mm-hmm. in the, the amount of people that come to me, like every time I come to Cork, there'd be at least 8, 10, 12 people that I'm meeting on a day. I'm down there today. I'm down again in two weeks' time. And that's just Cork, you know. I'm also sure. beating Munster, we'll say, from when I'm in Limerick or also Kilkenny, because some people might come over from Tipperary. What does it cost, Marade? What does it cost? Um, the consultation is €120 for the consultation. And from there, then, we talk about the, the matchmaking service. But, you know, we do everything from there. We'll see what you need and we'll go from there. Okay, so the, con- the consultation you. sets you up with all of your parameters in your system, does it? Yeah, and also I won't let people join unless I feel I have a suitable match for them. So, you know, we don't waste anybody's time, or it might be that we don't have someone at that time if they're looking for something very specific, in which case I'll say I'll come back as soon as we do. The very next time I'm down in Cork, there might be someone, or if they might have to wait a couple of weeks. But, yeah. you, you know, we're um, not going to wait. Wouldn't you be very insulted now if, 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 if you tried to join, you said, uh, ah, no, I've no one for you, really. 
No, we don't ever say that. It's my to the we might not have someone at that time. You should remember as well, during lockdown, we had nobody on dates for the first six months of this year. We were very clear. I meet every single person. So if I can't meet people, I'm not going to send them out because it is a huge part of the process, meeting somebody in person. Um, so, like, obviously, in the last couple of weeks, since May, we've had, like, 750 people out on dates. So the, the problem is with that, we, we emptied our cupboards a lot. So I can match people as quickly as I can meet them at the moment. Sure. But um, because we got some great matches, for a lot of people, they're on their... 10th, 11th, 12th date of people that I've set them up with. Now, some of them will go on to get married, engaged. Some of them might date for three, four, five months, maybe return to us at that stage. So the natural flow of what it was like two years ago is not there, but I would definitely say we've probably got about four times as many clients to come okay. to us on a weekly basis at the moment. It's extremely busy when it comes to people actively trying to find love. Okay, finally, do you do dating classes and is there a podcast or, or how do people get in touch with yes. you? So I just started this month again my four-week dating masterclass. My masterclass started yesterday, but if anybody wants to join, you can just register online and we can send you the recording from last night and you can join in. I basically, for over the four weeks, we learn a little bit about yourself, you know, what you're looking for in a partner and why that you're looking for these things. For some people, they've really pigeonholed themselves into what type of person and trying to be realistic in every week too. Then we talk about um, how to get a date and what the best place to go. Week three then is all about first date and things like the art of great conversation, how to be more confident on a date, what to wear, all of those things. So that's on my website. Also as well, um, I launched my own podcast during lockdown. We used our time wisely. So every week I have an expert on. So I have experts like Owen McGee, we say from RTE, talking about finance. This week I've got Sabina Brennan, she's a neuroscientist, on talking about the chemicals of love and why we're attracted to the people we're attracted to. And also then as well, a lot of you listeners will know Jerry Hussey as well, um, performance specialist, a performance coach, and um, he has trained a lot of Olympic athletes about okay. mindset and being in my frame of mind for dating and aligning your life, getting ready for dating. So my podcast, all of that information is on my website, lovehq.ie. Lovehq. If anybody okay. wants to know, just contact us. We're always happy to talk to new all people. Right. Thanks a million. Matchmaker with the Love HQ, Mairead Lockman. Thank you very much for joining us on the programme this Thank morning. Thank you. Thanks. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850 104 Nine minutes to, t- to 12 o'clock. Hi there. I hear you had someone on talking about the air ambulance and was wondering about donating. If you could pass on this address, it would be really, really helpful www.communityairambulance.ie That's www.communityairambulance.ie Each tasking costs an average of €3,500. So that's if the helicopter arrives and has to take somebody to hospital. It's €3,500, all of which has to be fundraised or donated. We currently receive no government funding and are just charity funded. Thanks a million, says Lorraine Toner, who's the Key Relations Manager in the Irish Community Air Ambulance, and they're based at Rathcool Aerodrome in Rathcool in Mallow, County Cork. Mallow, of course, has its uh, connections with uh, with aviation. Didn't it have a plane land on the uh, on the race course there many, many years ago? But once again, the Irish Community Air Ambulance, Rathcool Aerodrome in Rathcool, Mallow, County Cork. You can get in touch with them uh, on their website, www.communityairambulance.ie if you want to make a charitable donation I assume that would be tax deductible as well if it's over 250 euros but each uh, deployment or tasking costs an average of 3,500 euros once again www.communityairambulance.ie Phil Corcoran joins us for a final call on line 6 good morning Phil 
Good morning, Mick. Now, you're a senior health promotions officer at the Sexual Health Centre. Now, we've just been talking about matchmaking and dating, and of course, the upshot of all this is there has been a 43% increase in syphilis in Ireland, and we've had uh, a specialist in the area uh, saying that we should keep an Excel document of our sexual partners. That would imply to me a certain amount of volume. Yeah, well, I, I suppose the idea of that might be a little idealistic for some people. Um, just in relation to the increase, it, yes, there's a 43% increase in Ireland, um, but just locally, Cork and Kerry would represent about 9% of those cases. Um, I suppose the important thing for us um, would be to recommend that people use condoms with every partner whose STI status that they don't know. Um, so regular STI screening would be important. And also if people are presenting with um, any unusual symptoms um, and they have had sexual contact, that they would um, get those checked up. Okay, and, and advice for people who are, of course, when we say syphilis, it, it, you know, it, it gives that uh, sense of a very, very serious sexually transmitted mm-hmm. disorder or, or disease. Of course, you can get it from skin to skin contact as well. Yeah, so, um, I mean, syphilis is passed on through um, contact with uh, sores on a partner's body. Um, And I suppose with syphilis, uh, one of the initial symptoms would be a small painless sore or or chancre, um, you know, which a person may not notice. And if they do, um, because it's painless, they may not think anything about it. Um, And that can tend to, like, go away by itself. Um, some people will then go on to develop um, rashes on the body, um, commonly on the, the palms, the hands, or the soles of the feet, but you know can appear on other parts of, of the body. Um, and contact with those syphilis sores can pass on um, syphilis to sexual partners. So it would be important if anybody has any unusual symptoms um, that they would get those uh, checked out. And, you know, there are a number of avenues for people to get checked out at the moment. There is a free at-home testing service called SH24. So that's sh24.ie. And people can go onto that website, fill in their details. They'll be sent a testing kit so they can give a finger prick blood sample, um, a urine sample, and send back some swabs and be checked for a number of STIs. They can also contact the local um, genitourine medicine or STI clinic here at the Victoria Hospital on 021-4966-844. 021-4966-844. Now, Phil, you're yeah. the Senior Health Promotions Officer at the Sexual Health Centre. How is it that in a pandemic when we're told to stay six feet apart, when people are wearing masks and continuously washing hands and looking at hygiene, that there's an upsurge in in these sexually transmitted diseases? Okay, I suppose, you know, regardless of what's going on in the world, we're all sexual beings and we all need human contact. And I suppose just in terms of, you know, people accessing um, services, you know, we don't want anybody to fear judgment about sexual activity during a pandemic. Um, So that's a message that we'd like to put out there. And if anybody has any further questions on um, on syphilis or anything else they might be worried about in their in relation to their sexual health, they can contact us at info at sexualhealthcentre.com or they can call us on 021-427-6676. Okay, would you repeat that please? Yeah, so info at sexualhealthcentre.com or they can call us on 021-427-6676. 
free from judgment. Okay, free. And that's what I was just going to say. It's a judgmental free um, expertise here. You're not going to be judged in any way. So Absolutely you can, not. You can reach out safely and you can reach out with confidence. Uh, that's great. Okay, Phil Corcoran, thanks a million. Perfect. Senior thanks a million, Mick. Thanks, Take million. care. Bye-bye. Thanks, bye-bye. Senior Health Promotions Officer at the Sexual Health Centre. 43% increase in syphilis in Ireland. 79% of cases are in Dublin, Kildare and Wicklow. And just 9% of cases are in Cork and in Kerry. That's it for the day. I'll talk to you tomorrow after news at 9 o'clock. My thanks to the programme's producers today, Brenda Dennehy and Seamus Wheeler. And we have news at 12 midday on the way on The Neil Prendival Show. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.